What's up? We, you are hey. live. I can see you live in the super chat. <laughs> this is awesome. This is season two, almost season three. Deweese Milstead just jumped in, said hello, everyone. Uh, season hello, two, episode 101. Will Fly, Tony Marzano is in the house. Sean Nascar, what is up, my friend? Hey, Tony, um, I know that you won the uh, shirt. I got your uh, address and we'll be sending that out soon. I think that um, Bill, no, who is it? Nick, Nick Griffith won a t-shirt. I just don't have your information. You need to give me that information. Uh, Daniel Roosh is in the house. Hello, hello, good to see you guys. And uh, tonight we're gonna be talking about how to fly a paramotor. Um, how to fly a paramotor. I mean, my goodness, there's so many different ways of flying a paramotor. Oops, that was me. I did that. Um, I'm trying to close out all these windows and uh, I, I became loud. Sorry about that. Um, we're going to be talking about how to fly a paramotor. Let me share my screen real quick. Check this out. We're just putting this one out. I don't fly. I dangle by string. Hashtag string life, baby. So uh, we're putting out more and more things on our uh, on our merchandise. You can always find that merchandise by looking on my channel down below, and that will be popping up soon. Or you can also go to iloveppg.com, which reminds me, DP, did you see his post on Facebook? He had a iloveppg.com uh, iPhone case. How cool is that? So DP, shout out to you. And uh, shout out to all you guys out there that listen to us every Monday night. Tonight, we got ppglear.com in the house. What's up, buddy? Hey, guys. How are you doing? You can uh, find me at ppglear.com. I am doing well. Thanks for asking. That's awesome. It's really cold up there. You, you live in Wisconsin. And uh, um, how cold is it getting up there? Uh, yeah, we're in northern Wisconsin. We actually went out flying on Saturday off the lake. And... I think it was about 25 degrees or so. Um, I was up for about half an hour and uh, really enjoyed it. It was a nice flight. That's that's good. We'll definitely need to talk about what you wear when you get up there and it's uh, cold like that. But uh, your your show that you do, you do a podcast every Tuesday night at ppglear.com. What does that usually entail? What do you guys talk about on Tuesday nights? Well, we try to talk about... Uh, uh, we we gear our show towards educating newer pilots uh, for paramotors and uh, just hanging out, listening to the chat and answering questions that they have also. Awesome. It sounds awesome. That's tomorrow. So if you guys haven't done it yet, go over to ppglear.com. That forwards over to his YouTube channel. Hit that subscribe and that bell notification. Thank you, sir. This is going to be a fun uh, podcast tonight. We also have Will Fly from WillFlyPPG.com. What's up, bud? Hey, how's it going? Good to be here. Had a really good flight tonight, but it was the coldest flight of the season. And I don't think I can do too, too many uh, more flights like that, but it was beautiful. Um, so I, I think instead of an hour flight, I'm going to have to cut it down to maybe a half an hour, somewhere thereabouts. <laughs> Well, what, what, what is what is the coldest flight that you've ever done? Because I'm sure your coldest flight and uh, Eric's is probably different. 
Yeah, no, our definition of cold are completely different, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. The coldest flight, I've, I've flown in the 30s, and that's as cold as I really ever want to fly. And, um, you know, but last year, I could fly in colder temperatures because I really, really, really wanted to fly. You know, I wanted it bad enough to put up with the coldness. Um, this year, I'm, I'm a little bit more picky as far as my comfort <laughs> and what I'm willing to put up with. But man, I had my, so today was like, I don't know, 40 degrees, you know, and uh, that's what that was at, at, at the surface, you know, so a thousand feet above, it's going to be even colder and it was, um, but even with the heated gloves and two layers of, uh, what do you call them? Um, Clothing? No, no, long johns. <laughs> Two layers of clothing? I don't know. Yeah, no, three layers of clothing at least, not including the jacket. So right. I don't know. It, it was good, but I'm just going to cut back a little bit on the length of the flight. Yeah, um, I, I'm, I'm, w I'm with you. When it comes to cold, I think that uh, 40s, mid 40s is probably the coldest I really want to, to fly now. I mean, before I was, um, I, I was like you, I want I could go fly anytime because I wanted to fly. Now it's like, eh. Yeah. What's, what's that saying? There are old pilots and there are cold pilots. There are no old, old pilots. <laughs> but, but there's no old cold pilots. I don't know. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, we'll definitely need to talk about uh, cold weather gear and flying. Uh, thank you so much for being on the show, Will. Definitely appreciate you jumping on. We also got Paramom USA, our Linda Anderson. She's our cheerleader. Listen to the podcast. Got the podcast. How can you forget? I mean, that's I the only thing that we ask for you to, to do every week. I know. It's all good. Welcome, welcome. Hello, my chatters in the chat. Thank you for joining us tonight. Because you know it's Monday. That's where you need to be. And uh, don't forget to check out on, on Facebook. I always click the show in our show on Mondays on my story or your story, whatever you call it. So um, y'all check it out. I always put a reminder in there about the show and everything. So I really appreciate you guys. Looking forward to tonight. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being here. And thank you so much for booking all the people that you book to be on the show. So if you want to be on the show, just go to paramomusa.com. It forwards to her Facebook page, Linda Anderson. Just message her and say, hey, I want to be on Pear, uh, clearpropTV.com. She'll hook you up. She'll hook you up. Um, so let's look in the chat real quick. Who do we have here? We got Deweese Milstead, Bill H., uh, Tony Mozano, Sean Masker, uh, Daniel Roosh, um, of course, Eric PPG Lear. Um, see, Will Flies chatting in there also. We got a lot of people in the chat. Aaron I, the PPG guy, Bill oh. H., um i'm scrolling down looks like it's a bunch uh brian waller is in the chat tonight oh. so wing wait a minute wiggly thing wiggly what? wing we got wiggly wing wiggy wing Wig is that wiggy wing okay wiggy, wiggy wing. wing welcome uh wiggy yeah. wing was flying under 20 last saturday I'm, I'm assuming under 20 was under 20 degrees that's too cold Her. too cold yeah were you talking <laughs> about the brian waller like the Brian Wallers in the chat. Hey, Bill. He's not hey, like Bill. here in the room with us, but he's on the chat. Oh, okay. I just was checking. 
He is. He's on the chat. So welcome. <laughs> so glad all you guys can make on it. Him. He can't hide from us. He knows it. So not only are we uh, live right now, but we are also streaming audio live. And um, we are also, I, I just checked. I, I wanted to check to see all of our different. Oops, sorry, that's me. Is that you? Yeah. All right. Um, I, I checked to see where we are on the internet. And uh, we have over 20,000 um, downloads. Uh, we're, we're on Bullhorn, Podchaser, CastBox, Stitcher, Listen Notes, um, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Castro, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pandora, Amazon, Audible, iHeartRadio, and many more places. So if you search for uh, PPG Grandpa's Paramotor Podcast or Paramotor Podcast, you can find us pretty much everywhere. We're going to be in season three pretty soon. Tonight, we're going to be talking about how to fly a paramotor. Now, we were all talking about how to fly a paramotor. Matter of fact, before the show started in our pre-show that you don't get to listen to, unfortunately, it's kind of private, but we're talking about how easy it is to actually fly a paramotor. Um, you can probably learn to fly a paramotor on the internet, but the reason why you'd want to go to school instead of learning to fly on the internet is because why? Well, we had a bunch of guests already that tried to teach themselves how to fly from YouTube. And the re most recent one, they bought all their gear on eBay. They had a 20-year-old wing or a 10-year-old wing. Their motor was really horrible. It kind of worked, but he went through four different props, broke four different props before going to search for a paramotor instructor. And we've had other people too that's been on this podcast that tried to learn how to fly before going to school. Now, what's the difference between learning to fly on the internet and going to a an instructor, an actual school? Um, Will, you went to school, correct? I went to an instructor. Yes. Instructor. And uh, uh, Eric, you went to an instructor also? I did. Um, all right, so let's go ahead and talk to them real quick about their experience in school and what they actually had to learn or what they actually learned in school and that had nothing to do with flying. I mean, you, you grab your A's, you run forward, you inflate, you mash the gas and you're flying, right? You fly around, you, you pull left, you turn left, you pull right, you turn right, you come down, you flare, you land. Okay, really simple and easy, but what did you learn in school that was over and beyond that. Uh, who wants to go first? Will, Eric? I'll, go ahead, knock, Will. I'll knock it out because mine's going to be pretty quick. And unfortunately, okay. my first experience with an instructor was not good. <laughs> so I didn't invest the time necessary to pick the right school or the right instructor for me. That being said, I can tell you, though, the biggest advantage as I see it is if you learn something on, you watch something on YouTube and you go out and perform it, you don't have the third party, the knowledgeable third party watching you and being able to tell you where you did wrong when something goes wrong and something will go wrong. It, it always does. You know, everybody has little things happen, but when you got someone watching you and, and able to give you tips and tricks on what you could have done better and how you could have prevented something, uh, I think that would be the biggest advantage 
Um, were you able to have someone video you so you could go through the video and see what it looks like from a different angle? No, <laughs> no, no, unfortunately not. And until I got now, I still got good instruction. Don't get me wrong. I got good instruction because I, I had a real strong local group of guys uh, who were knowledgeable and who were able to video and, and point out things. And if I had questions, I could ask. Uh, so I lucked out in that regards. Um, never, ever, ever. The, the, the guest there with the four broken props, man, I, yeah, my heart bled for him. I mean, dang, he really wanted to fly. Um, but, it, you know, like it's been said, you're going to spend your money on gear or you're going to spend it on training, you know. Um, and since it's your health <laughs> that you're risking, uh, you might as well just spend it on some good training, you know. Absolutely. Well, um, how about as far as like airspace and weather and stuff, did you learn from your instructor or from your group? Uh, airspace, uh, um, my background is in aviation as a flight instructor. So uh, I already had the airspace down. I, I was familiar with that and how to talk on the radio, things like that. Um, but all of that information was readily available in the PPG book, because I guess you can't say the B word. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, that uh, the, the actual learning to fly the paramotor for me came down more towards uh, learning how to kite the wing and control the wing. Um, I had, uh, with that one instructor, uh, the first instructor, my sixth launch attempt, I, man, I messed up a whole bunch of stuff. I broke my prop. It was uh, three sections of the hoop, my netting. It was just a mess. Um, after that, I decided, okay, because I was thinking about giving up the sport completely, thinking maybe, you know, it wasn't for me. Um, but I, I decided to try it again, but I, I committed to myself that if I was going to get back into it and try, try to learn this thing, I was going to know that wing inside and out. So every morning I'd go to the park and I'd spend sometimes eight hours a day doing nothing but kiting over and over and over again from one side of the field to the other, you know, uh, and that more than anything really, really helped. That's good. And with your background in aviation, you already had your general aviation's uh, pilot's license and you knew airspace. So what more do you think that you needed to be a paramotor pilot? Well, what, as far as the flying part of it? Oh, as far as flying, as far as just knowledge in general, I mean, uh, with your weather that you already knew from GA, did that roll over to help you with uh, paramotor flying yeah. and micrometeorology? It, it did to some extent, but mm. not like what you just said, micro. I mean, general aviation, yes, weather is extremely important, but not to the extent that it is in paramotoring. I mean, your tolerances are a lot tighter, you know, for wind and uh, weather, things like that. Um, so, yeah, I could carry it over, but I, I, I couldn't say that I knew everything that I needed to know book-wise just because I was coming from the GA side. And yeah, as far as books are concerned, we're, we're talking about that uh, PPG Bible. Um, in the chat, Super Chat, or, or if you guys are listening right now, uh, raise your hand or put in the Super Chat, how many people have at least one copy of the PPG Bible? And do you have an older copy 
or do you have the newer copy? Did you know that he's actually going to be uh, putting out a, a audio version of the book? I think he said. Mm-hmm. So that'd be pretty neat. But yeah, I have um, an older copy. I got the newest copy. Um, I got the instructor book from him and I got another book from somebody else that wrote about how to pair a motor. I forgot who it was. Um, it was a really good book. It's a lot thinner than um, Jeff Goins. But yeah, let me know in the super chat how many people um, have read it. And did you read it before you went to school or tried to pair motor? Um, thank you, Will. We'll definitely go back to you as far as more information, especially about the general aviations. I, I like to learn a little bit more about that as far as like what it takes to get your ga license and stuff we'll talk to that and talk to you about that in just a moment uh eric over at ppglear.com um now you fly trikes and you do foot launch correct yep i do both and uh i went to a school down in uh, southern wisconsin i live in northern wisconsin um so when i was picking a school i didn't want one that was going to be set from this date to this date. I wanted a school that I could go when it was convenient for me and learn. And then the biggest thing when I was choosing a school was I wanted to make sure that I can go back after I get my PP2, PPG2 rating that I can go back at any time to get refreshed and it doesn't cost me anymore. And he said, absolutely. Um, so uh, the things that you learn in a school is you know they have simulators that you can sit in and they will teach you how to flare and how to land you know and un unlike will i didn't come from an aviation background um so we did learn how to talk on the radios we did learn airspace which is super important to know um also there is some things that uh a lot of instructors will say okay you can fly you actually landed you're good. You can go off now. Go, go do it. You know, and I know a lot of instructors will say, Hey, we want to see 25 successful flights, but during these 25 successful flights, we're going to go through um, a few things, you know, how to stop os oscillations, how to make oscillations, how to um, control your wing, how to use tip steering, how to use the brakes properly, you know, and to make sure that you're safe. And that's the biggest thing is they're concerned about safety. Um, and that's their main object objective is to make sure that you're safe. But uh, definitely a school is worth it because you will spend your money in broken gear um, if you don't spend the money on an instructor. I totally agree. I totally agree. Um, as far as airspace is concerned, um, how well do you think that you know airspace? I know enough. <laughs> it you know, gets me. It, I know how to read it, and we will. If we go somewhere new, um, we will read the airspace map and know that we're legal. And still to this day, I will reach out and ask my instructor. When we left Moonshiners, we went out to Outer Banks, and I actually reached out to Will and I asked him you know, where we wanted to fly and what certain things meant. Um, and he was able to answer that because he's more experienced in the uh, general aviation side. Uh, so he knew the answer, but that's where the paramotor family is uh, very nice to have and make those connections so you can reach out to other people. 
not one person knows everything, but everybody together knows everything. Exactly. And this is definitely a community that, you know, is it's a, it's a small community. I mean, pretty much everybody knows everybody, even if you're not a big YouTuber, you know, we probably know you, especially if you've gone out and gone to a fly-in. Uh, looks like, let's look in the super chat real quick, see what's going on. DP donated 10 bucks in the super chat. Uh, Merry Christmas pair of peeps. Love you. He says, thank you very much. Uh, DP definitely appreciate you. Let's see who said that they have the PPG Bible. Let me scroll down. Um, wow. There's a lot of chatting going on PPG. The other Nick, what's up, buddy. Um, Sean Nasser says, I got the newest one. Tony NASCAR, uh, Tony Marzano said, I got the Bible. Um, Bill H got the older version. DP number six here. I have a new copy says Deweese Milstead. Um, Brian Waller says, I got it and read the whole thing before training version five. I think, um, uh, Tony Marzano says it's on its nightstand, just like in a hotel. That's cool. That's cool. Rereading is good. DP is rereading it. Um, so it looks like a lot of people have got it and have been reading it. What do you think guys, as far as the PPG Bible, is this something that, if you read it before going to school, you would have a good foundation before going to school. What do you guys think? Good foundation? Oh yeah, they, uh, he told us before we even, after we learned how to kite, he said, okay, next time you come down, make sure you read this chapter to this chapter. Okay. And we did. Uh, when I say we, of course, every, a lot of people know Jade and Jade uh, is my wife and she learned with me. She's also a trike flyer. Um, and we read that those chapters we went to school and then the next time he says okay when you come back down make sure you read this chapter this chapter and it is it's a lot of information it's a very well written book how about you mr will did you read it at all since you had that ga background yes and the uh it's a, a world a wealth of information uh and it answers just it's about any topic you can think of related to paramotoring it's a great book um, also on that note, the sixth edition is a lot better, in my opinion, than the fifth edition. So if you've got the fifth or whatever, and you're wondering if it's worth upgrading to the sixth, I would say 100% yes. Would you agree, Sean? I, I Yes, I agree. It's definitely formatted a lot better. And um, it just seems like it flows a lot better than the fifth edition. He did a lot of um, revisions on it, and it really is awesome. Uh, I, I agree. Lots of information. Um, a lot of my students, too, they read it, and I'm getting a bunch of texts asking all these different questions. And the thing is, when you read it and you're not a pilot, you're not in the sport, you just, you know, learn about paramotoring and you're like, so how do I do this? I mean, how, how, what, what, what do I do? You get the PPG Bible and now you start reading it and there's terminology in there that will blow your mind, especially if you, you know, if, this, if you're just starting this, there's a lot of terminology that you just don't get. But as soon as you step into school, it's like, oh, that's what he meant. Oh, that's what this is. Oh, I understand that. So reading the entire book before you get to school really helps things click when the instructor starts talking about something that, you know, you didn't quite understand. Um, since we have been flying for a while, um, actually Paramount USA, or Linda Anderson, she does not fly, but she does listen to us a lot. Um, just curious, 
and we'll go back to, to, to talking more about paramotors, but since Glenda doesn't fly, but she listens to us and her son is, um, does a, a paramotor podcast also. Uh, what is that? Paraglidingtalk.com? Paraglidingtalk.com. With, with Robert Michaels, your son, Robert right? Robert Michaels, my awesomest. Awesomest, yeah. right? So yeah, yeah. when you when he first started doing this podcast, which has been years and years and years, he's been doing a podcast for a long time. When you started listening to this, you didn't understand what he was talking about most of the time, right? Right. Yeah, literally, literally, I would like, I would have my notepad and I would literally, I would make notes. And when you guys started talking, the paragliding, paramotor, I called it lingo, I would write it down so I didn't look silly. Like, what's that mean? What's that mean? You know, so I listened to everything. And I've, I've learned a lot about the sport. I've learned a lot about, I know a lot of things now that you guys talk about. Now I can, you know, say, oh, I know what they're talking about. And I, like I said, I know the lingo. I know all the just, you know, Remember, I remember at one time it was like, what's an LZ? You know, that's how right. far back. And, right. so I, and when I finally figured that out, I was so proud of myself. And then the next time when I got on the show, you guys would be talking. I'm, and I'm like, yeah, I know what that means. I was just, you know, the props and yeah. And what clear prop is and and uh, just all kinds of stuff. The camera things, you know, the guys use and everything. Yeah. It's so, fun. so for the people that do not know that are just learning about paramotors for the first time, they listen to this podcast and they just heard you say LZ. What does LZ mean? Yeah, landing zone. Very, very right. good. The landing zone. That's and you said something about clear prop. You said something about clear prop. Does that mean that you can see through the prop because it's clear? Is it? Nope. That means that uh, when you're getting ready to take off that your prop, which is those blades, I call them, inside the motor, that uh, when you turn that motor on, when you're getting ready to take off, clear prop means you better get out of the way because I'm coming <laughs> out. <laughs> right, clear prop is what you say when you're ready to start the motor to make sure yeah. everybody stays clear of the prop. Very good, yeah. so, so it's really interesting. And you don't fly. No. But you've been no. listening to this. So what do you think as far as like, uh, in your opinion, if someone was to spend years of listening to um, paramotor podcasts like this and watching YouTube channels, uh, you'd have a pretty good understanding before going to school, correct? Oh, yeah. The first thing I would do is learn how to kite and learn how to control the wing. Exactly. That's the first thing. And... Uh, Make sure, like I said, you got a good school you're going to, that you're going to have good instructors, you know, that will teach you <clears throat> safety, number one. Um, yeah. Safety, that, that's a good thing. That, that's a good thing. I'm glad you brought safety. So let me ask you something. Would you ever ground start a paramotor? No. Where are the two places that you want to start a paramotor? The two places I want to start a paramotor? Yep. You don't want to ground start. Now, that'd be something. That so you'd want to say either on your back or rack, right? So you want the paramotor on your back oh, okay. or you want it on a rack to start it. Those are the only two places oh. you want to start a paramotor. Okay. So, oh, that's good. Okay. So oh, either That's awesome. You just learned something. Yeah. Awesome. The two places to start a paramotor okay. is on your back or rack. Boom. Good for you. 
but, but I've noticed that once you like you start your paramotor up or whatever, you don't. I, I I see guys, you know, messing with them where they shouldn't be. You know, let's just say I'm just saying like um, they're out there. They turn it on in their front yard and they're running around the yard, getting the weeds out of the way, whatever. You know, I just look at it. It's that's something you don't want to. You always want to take a safety on that because just use it for flying. You know what I mean? And just watch it. Just be aware of your surroundings when you're out there. Exactly. Well, because people are running around, kids running around, dogs are running around. I see, you know, at the flyings and everything. And yeah, you, you just something you when you're out there, you want to take it serious. That's a that's a good thing. I'm glad that you brought up safety. So safety is a very important thing when it comes to paramotoring. Um, let's go ahead and uh, get back with Will and Eric. Eric, uh, what are some safety things that uh, you have incorporated in your life since you started paramotoring? Um, I know it's either back or rack, but what are some other things that you tell new pilots or new people that want to get into the sport? Uh, what are some safety features that that you recommend? Well, of course, you know that prop is something that's spinning. You know the the paramotor is not a toy. It it really isn't. It's it's something that is. Um, it can be dangerous. You know, so um, you know as we kind of discussed, the, the 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 instructors will teach you a lot about safety. Um, you know, not on the not not on the ground. Don't don't ground start. And like Sean said, either on your back or on the rack, preferably on your back, you know, that's going to be the safest spot to start. Um, also, uh, on trike pilots, if uh, you're going to start your motor and let it warm up, you know, make sure that front tire is up against a building or your car or something, because if that thing does accidentally go wide open, you don't want this thing on wheels going across the field. Um, I have been guilty of that and my instructor corrected me of that. So, um, you know, we're always learning. Uh, a, a lot of safety stuff, you know, on top of that is, you know, they're gonna teach you, you know, when to pull brakes, when not to pull brakes, when not to use your brakes. Um, I mean, there's tons of safety out there. There's just so much information to, to try to explain it all in a one hour YouTube show would be impossible. This is something that it, it, it does take a lot of uh, time to get that all to sink in. But um, uh, the most important things is, is definitely get your training. Absolutely. Totally agree. Um, we can talk about this until we're blue in the face, but you got to remember when you go to school, you're learning from sun up to sundown, usually two weeks in a row. So, I mean, if you think about it, that is a lot of knowledge that is going into your head that you're that you're learning um, or or understanding after reading the PPG Bible. So trying to learn everything that you need to learn through YouTube, you know, is possible, but you might be that guy that you, you might be that guy that doesn't understand TFRs you know, um, or notice the airmen, you know, or understanding the airspace, um, you know, going up before sunrise. Okay, here's something that a lot of people don't know. When you turn on your strobes, 
and you have them 30 minutes before sunrise or 30 minutes after sunset. You are allowed to fly in G airspace only. You understand that, right? That means that uh, you don't get up 30 minutes before sunrise, turn on your strobe and go up to 18,000 feet. That's illegal. You have to stay in G airspace. And depending on where you are, that could be 700 feet. That could be 1,200 feet. You know, out west, well, you could go up to 14,000 feet, and that's still G airspace. But you got to understand what is legal and what is not legal. We'll fly. Um, what are some safety tips that you would give people that are just getting into the sport or want to get into the sport? Uh, I would say get connected with a local group of pilots and start to develop a solid uh, support group for when the questions come up and uh, when you're not going to learn everything. Like, like Sean said, I mean, there's a lot of information that you you're going to be learning in two weeks and it's not just book stuff. I mean, you're also learning new feelings um, as a flight instructor. When I was teaching, when you try to teach somebody how to land, you can tell them as much as you want, but until they actually feel the flare and feel, I mean, it's, it's more of a feeling and you can't teach a feeling. Um, so that would be my number one tip. Of course, the book is uh, that that's a solid foundation. Um, other than that, I mean, I would find the school, right? That you trust your life with, you know, find the right instructor, the right school, do your research on, on that. And then uh, be a robot, man. Listen to the instructor and do what he says. The one thing that came to mind, Sean, is that <clears throat> you were talking about safety and stuff like that is, yeah, you can learn on YouTube, but why not have somebody there who's already knowledgeable about the mistakes that you're most likely to make <laughs> and either save you a lot of uh, damaged equipment and uh, broken bone, maybe, um, why not? Why would you subject yourself to that? You know, you're not saving yourself any money. I can tell you that right off the bat. It may seem like you are at first, um, but uh, you're doing yourself a, a real dis disservice by doing that. Uh, I, there was one other thing I wanted to point out uh, regarding safety. That Sean Nasker, he made a comment. Um, he says it's better to be comfortable and safe than miserable and rushed related to cold weather. And that is absolutely true because when you're rushed, you are much more likely to make a mistake if you're rushed and uncomfortable. Um, so good point, Sean. Well, thank you very much. Um, and, and, and unfortunately, when it comes to the sport, there's a lot of things that you don't know that you don't know. And you can't learn something that you don't know that you need to learn about. You know, and, and unfortunately, uh, that's something that you can't learn. I don't think that you can learn everything like that on the internet because you don't know what to search for. I mean, if you know that you want to learn how to wire up an electrical outlet, well, you can Google how to wire up an electrical outlet and go step by step. But I don't think there's anything out there on the internet that shows everything that you're going to learn um, in two weeks with an instructor, even the PPG Bible, there's a lot of stuff that is not covered underneath there, you know, or in there. I mean, a lot of stuff is, but um, there's a lot of stuff that you just don't know that you don't know. And 
that's I think where where the issue is when it comes to to learning how to fly. Um, any questions in the super chat about learning how to fly, or any questions, or any safety tips or anything like that that you guys want to offer or talk about? Is there some sort of rules or regulations that you are kind of like don't know about or would like to learn more about? Um, ask in the super chat. And also, too, don't forget, you can always go over to ppgzone.com if you haven't done so already. Sign up for a free account. And there's an interactive map that will pop up and show you all the different pilots that are on ppgzone.com. And you can see all the pilots around you. Click their name and talk to them on PPG Zone. Say, hey, I fly. Um, do you want to get up together sometime and fly? So that's a great way of getting up with people uh, even before you start to fly, go to ppgzone.com, sign up for a free account, find all the people around you, and uh, start chatting with them. Say, hey, you know, whenever you are ready to go out and fly, you know, can I come over and say hi? Can I see your your gear? Can I watch you take off? Yeah, I've not had one person say no to me when I asked them that question. They Paramotor pilots love showing you their gear and I mean, that's just what, what we do. Uh, can I, if you don't mind, and, and then I'll, I'll kind of hang out in the background, but there were a couple of things about airspace that I, I wanted to mention that yeah. uh, there seems to be a misnomer. Uh, well, it's not a misnomer, but a misunderstanding. Um, class G airspace is uncontrolled airspace. Class ECHO or class E airspace is controlled airspace. And, and a lot of people think, well, no, okay, I'm in class E airspace, so that must be that I'm in uncontrolled airspace. That's not the case. And the reason is, is just because you're not being controlled doesn't mean ATC is not controlling someone else who's on an IFR flight plan. So um, just wanted to make that, that distinction there. And that's one of the reasons you were saying class G at night or 30 minutes after sunset, you could only be in class G um, that, I mean, that's absolutely right because class G is uncontrolled. So you can only be in uncontrolled airspace during that time. Exactly. Exactly. I'm really glad that you said that well, because there are a lot of people out there that kind of understand it and kind of wiggle around it. And I've heard many times people taking off 30 minutes before sunrise and getting up to 5,000 feet and cruising. You know, it's like, no, it's like uh, 30 minutes before sunrise and 30 minutes after. I mean, when it comes to sunset, you need to be down in G airspace with a strobe that can be seen uh, three statute miles, which is regular miles like you and I can see. It's not nautical miles. And don't use a bicycle um, flasher because you can't see. I've seen some people that put on bicycle flashers. Oh, wow. <laughs> you can't see them. And, oh, wow. um, and I'm looking for people when I'm flying, especially when, yeah. you know, it's after sunset or before sunrise. It's like, I'm looking for my buddies. And when you turn on your bicycle flashlights, they don't work. I can't see them. Even if it's like, right. No, I can't see them. It's awful. Please don't use those strobes. They do not work. They almost sound like, almost illegal you know what i mean to use those up in the air the, the bike but like yeah you want to keep those for your bicycle <laughs> <laughs> right 
not for not for flying. No, now. I can't imagine. That's, no, I, I'm glad you guys brought that up about. See, I'm learning something tonight now too with the class G airspace because I was listening to it going. Oh, I haven't heard of that. I've heard of like safety in the air and the FFA and all that. People, you know, guys talking about that, but I wasn't aware that. Yes, that's there's a class G. I even wrote it down on here. Airspace means it's a controlled airspace, which means what the class like, G is uncontrolled. Oh, it's uncontrolled. Yeah, Sean Nasker in the chat said, uh, "What did he say?" Something about, let me see if I find it. No, oh, it's scrolled up, on it. I, I can't remember, but he was okay. saying that class E means, or, or maybe stands for everyone else, but really class G, the way we I've taught it is, stands for go for it airspace, you know? And class E is, it stands for everything else controlled. Exactly. So, yeah. Oh, okay. and, and anytime- when you want, Sean, I've got a quick and easy way that I use to teach um, the visibility and cloud, uh, you know, um, require the yes. clouds. Yes, absolutely. Because um, um, I've, I've seen people that are flying and doing videos that are really close to clouds or going through clouds and stuff like that. And um, you got to be careful what you post. I saw that. Um, I'm not definitely, definitely no names, but you know, you, you gotta be careful what you post because that one time that I flew to Denny's, um, on my paramotor, it was a great day. Um, there was nothing below me, but right in front of me, there was, um, um, ground fog as far as the eye can see and the sun was coming over it so i put my feet up like you normally do right and i was videoing that i'm like look at this this is so cool but straight down below me you know you there was ground you can see it and behind me there was nothing and somebody called the faa i had to talk to the faa wow. and and prove that i was not flying over and around clouds and i had to prove that i knew what G airspace was free and clear of clouds and E airspace up to 10,000 and over 10,000. And, you know, after I told them that they, they're like, okay, you know, your stuff. Okay. Good deal. But don't get to that point that you're posting something that the FAA might give you a call or you have to give them a call and explain, um, you know, why you're flying so close to clouds. So Will, go ahead. Uh, tell us how you teach people cloud airspace. Well, okay. So assuming you know what airspace you're in, everything is three miles visibility and 152, like a system 152. And that's 1,500 below, 1,000 to the side. And wait a minute, I'm getting it. 500 below, 1,000 above. And geez, man, it's been a long time since I've done this. Five, one, and two, yes. So 500 below, 1,000 above, and 2,000 feet horizontal. If you just remember that, you're gonna be okay 70, 80% of the time. So three miles visibility, 152. That's, I guess, a thousand to the side, 500 below. Oh, dang, I did it again. <laughs> Just right down. Thousand, on, thousand on top, 500 below. Yeah, yeah. So 500 below and then double it. A thousand above, 2000 feet horizontally. Um, there are only three exceptions to this rule. And that is class G, 
during the day, which is one mile and clear clouds. 10,000 feet and above MSL is F111. So you need five miles visibility, a thousand feet, let's say 111, a thousand feet above, a thousand feet below and one mile horizontal. I think I'm saying that right. Yes, thousand feet horizontal, a thousand feet. <laughs> no, dang it, man. I'm really sorry. I'm tired. And it's been a long time since I've taught this. Help them, Eric. Thousand Help below, them. <laughs> thousand above and one mile horizontally from clouds. That's F5111. Thousand below, thousand above, one mile visibility. That's the second exception. The third exception is class Bravo or class B airspace, which you need three miles visibility and you have to be able to remain clear of clouds. And the reason the, the cloud clearance is so you know, unrestricted there is because you have to be uh, controlled to be in class Bravo airspace. You have to have, uh, not, it's permission, you have to have a clearance to enter class Bravo airspace. So, um, which I think 90% of us will never do. <laughs> no, no, I guess Mark Honeycutt, he did it. Someone else did it too, not too long ago. <clears throat> And the, and the thing is, you can pretty much fly anywhere on a paramotor as long as you have permission. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's a lot of places you can fly over military bases and stuff like that um, because the bases only have an airspace from a certain time during the day. That means in the morning and at night, it goes back to G airspace um, so you can fly. Uh, you can call in and ask for permission to fly through and they'll usually give you uh, permission. So, I mean, there's not too many places that you cannot fly uh, as long as you ask permission. But the greatest thing about paramotors is that G airspace pretty much across the whole United States goes from ground level up to 1200 feet. There are some exceptions, but about 1200 feet. And let me tell you, when you're flying at 1200 feet and you know right around there between 1000 and 1200 feet, that's high. You know that you can see a lot you can cruise far you can do a lot of things in within 1200 feet so you never even need to really jump into um echo airspace but if you do it's a little bit nice and cool up at 2500 feet when it's like 110 degrees down below during the summertime over here in arkansas getting up to 25 feet or 25,000 feet it feels like an air conditioner but you get up to a mile over 5,000 feet and it feels like winter even though it's 110 degrees down below gotta love it there is one thing that you brought up, uh, you know, you mentioned NOTAM and what it is, um, you know, for people that don't know, basically it is a um, notice that's filed with the FAA to give um, alert to pilots about hazards, potential hazards. Um, and the FAA just recently changed that. It used to be notice to airmen. It is now, because we're in a politically correct state, it is now notice to air missions. And a lot of people don't know that, but that is just something that is recently in the past month, maybe two, that has come through. So, so you can still um, say NOTAM because it's notice to air missions. It's NOTAM. NOTAMs is now notice to air missions. Yes. That's, I did not know that. So, hey, see, no. you learn something new. I mean, that's why I love doing these podcasts. I love listening to these things because there's always a little something that uh, that you learn. Here's something that I do is before I take off, I go to TFR 
dot gov. I, I forgot what it is. It's on my phone. And I look really quick for the NOTAMs and uh, um, see if there's see if my airspace is clear, make sure there's no VIP flying overhead um, or making sure there's not. a. Um, we had uh, toad suck days over here in Arkansas, over in Conway. And Wait, we can't... toad suck days. That's where you get to <laughs> suck your toad. Oh. What? <laughs> Come on. Come on. How else are you going to get high for free? So over over here, we have toads. Seriously, we have toad suck days. So anyways, so during our toad suck days this last um, year, this last, this last year, we had um, we had a bunch of airplanes that flew over. But there was a TFR. There was a, you know, a, a TFR saying that this is what was going on. Well, I always look on my... I can't remember what it is. It's tfr.something.gov or something. And it will list all the TFRs. And I go to the top because it has the dates. And I look, make sure there's nothing in Arkansas. If there isn't, I take a screenshot of that. So it is um, it is time stamped that I looked at the TFR. So if I do go up there, and something does come through or if, or if uh, something does pop up and I'm forced to come down because there's a TFR or something, I can say, look, timestamp this morning before I went flying, I looked and there was nothing there. So that that's that's there to cover my butt. And <laughs> I totally forgot about the, the Toad Suck air, the air, air Show going through. So I almost flew that day. I'm like, you know what? This is a nice day to fly. Really, really beautiful. I looked on the TFR. We're under, really we're under restriction with oh they got the t the the um toad suck thing going so right. toad suckers i know toad suckers so it's always important to look to make sure that something's not going on um up in the air in your area or a vip's not coming through because if you go up on your nice little paramotor that you spent ten thousand bucks on and someone catches you when you land not only are you going to be fined, but they're going to take that away from you. It's going to be gone. Sorry. Especially if it's going to be, if, especially if it's a president, you're, you're, you're gone. So be very Finished. careful. History. Be noshed. And we spend a lot of money. This to us, this is a lot of money. This is the cheapest way to oh, fly. Um, the you next one, money. the next one up is PPC, which is powered parachute. And the next one up is just GA, like you have your, um, uh, well, ultralight, ultralight airplanes. Yeah. But I think that the next level up that's a little bit more expensive is PPC, and then your regular ultralights, and then your um, little ones with the blades. The um, gyrocopters? Gyrocopters, I think, are the next step up before you go to GA. Um, so for all the people out there that may or may not know, Ultralights, we fly under FAR 103. That means that we are um, not certified aircraft. And as long as our aircraft, if it's motorized, it's, if it's under 254 pounds, we can fly it without a license and under really not very strict uh, rules and regulations. If we're flying without a motor, if it's under 155 pounds, what is it? I don't know if that answered. Yeah, that does sound right. Uh, under yeah, if it's if it's not motorized, it's supposed to be under 155 pounds, and then if it's motorized, it's 254 pounds. I think that's right. So as long as you can get the weight 
underneath 254 pounds you can pretty much fly anything that you want to without a ga license now since will does teach or has taught in the past what does it take to get a general aviation's license to fly an aircraft that's certified well for, you, you have have you have to have a minimum of 40 hours of flight 20 hours has to be with an instructor that right there is hugely expensive but here's the kicker very very few uh people do it in 40 hours and so you're talking about 40 hours of renting an airplane which i don't know what it is today when i was when i was instructing it was 50 dollars an hour for the instructor and uh gosh i want to say 125 an hour for the airplane somewhere thereabouts did you have to what did they have to pay for gas too or that 125 was gas and yeah that was all all inclusive there um and so uh, I had a friend ask me not too long ago if, if he was considering getting uh, his pilot's license and, and he's already a, a paramotor pilot. And he asked me if he thought it would be worth it for him you know, to do that. And I gave it some thought and, and really my answer surprised me that I didn't think that it would be cost effective for him to do that. I, I didn't think that he would get the same enjoyment out of flying an airplane as he does a paramotor because I know this guy, right? I know he wants the feeling of flight. And I know he doesn't have an ambition to go on and get a commercial pilot or flight instructor or any, any higher rating. He just was thinking about. So, so that's what I told him. I said that I, I didn't think it would, it would be worth the money. I think if he wants the feeling of flight, man, a paramotor is where it's at. I mean, when I started flying or wanted to fly airplanes, I wanted it because I wanted the feeling of flight. And I've got thousands of hours in, in, in airplanes. Never have I felt that same feeling as I do in a paramotor. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not, you know, ragging on, on GA. I, lo- I love airplanes, obviously. Uh, but if the sole purpose was to achieve that feeling of, you know, just being out there in nature and flying and floating along, I mean, yeah, it's not the same when you've got a bunch of aluminum and you're sitting in an aluminum can. So that's I guess I, I guess we can, you know, do a cost analysis real quick. Um, a really good paramotor, about 5000 bucks. Really good wing, about $3,500. Um, Instructor between fifteen hundred and thirty five hundred dollars for instruction, and you can put everything in your car, put everything in your garage. You know, um, we we have um, we have somebody that packs up everything in a smart car. We call him Smart Car Brian because he can put his paramotor and his wing in his smart car, drive wherever he wants to, and fly a paramotor. Okay, so very inexpensive. You don't have yearly inspections. Oh yeah, Will. How much are yearly inspections? I mean, what does that usually go through? Oh uh, no, there's okay. There, that's another thing. See, I right. could have bought an airplane, right? And, I, and that's why I got into paramotoring. I wanted to get back into some form of aviation, but I did not want the headache of owning an airplane. You you go in for an inspection, and it's not the inspection. That if that, if it was just the cost of an inspection, that'd be great. They always find something. 
And, and so how much, I don't know, but I can tell you it ain't cheap. <laughs> so I mean, it's not a little two cylinder, a two stroke motor you're, you're dealing with. What, what, maybe, maybe, maybe just give us a, you know, a roundabout thing. Just, just, is it like $5,000, $100,000? I mean, what does it cost for like inspection and getting something fixed? I don't know about average. Sean, honestly, I couldn't tell you now, even, even when I was flying, I didn't handle the maintenance part of it. The, the maintenance, the aviation department handled that. So I really don't know what a base okay. inspection would cost. But it's I, a I lot. Tell you, I have heard a lot of pilots complain about what's been found in the inspection, A, and B, how much it's going to cost them, and C, the downtime that's involved while it's being repaired. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. This so it's a, lot, it's a lot more than a $100 maintenance on a Moster 185. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Here's a little breakdown if you're looking at GA, and this is, like, like Will said, this is based on you actually got all the training that you needed in that 40 hours. If you got that, uh, you're looking about $10,000 to have your license, and that's in a Cessna 150, about $12,000 if you got everything in that time frame, and that's on a 172. Uh, a particular person that I was talking to that gave me this information, she had a um, part on her landing gear that she needed to have replaced. And all it was was a pin. And they had to order that pin from the manufacturer. All it was was a stainless steel pin. The pin was $300. And it was about the same to have uh, a aviation mechanic pushed the pin in and put the key in it. That's honest to God. It that's it's outrageously priced. When I'm sure that the manufacturer went to Ace Hardware, picked up the stainless steel pin, and mailed it up to the mechanic. Probably <laughs> feel like that, right? So it is expensive. Anything that has the word aviation on it, the price gets jacked up. Especially if it's all certified. I mean, this is all certified stuff, yep. you know, because we are under FAR 103 and we're under ultralights. This is not certified. So we are kind of all just test pilots, you know, test, pi you know, test piloting stuff that's not certified. Now, when we say not certified, we're talking about FAA not certified. However, people that are making this and making our wings are certifying it uh, the best of their ability to make it as safe as possible for us ultralight pilots. So don't think, oh my God, what does this mean? We're going to go up there and we could just, you know, follow this guy? Well, I guess you could with the commercial airplane too, but that's why all of us paramotor pilots, we are also two-stroke mechanics. Yeah. Even if we don't want to be, we will become yeah. one. Absolutely. Um, now, Eric, you foot launch and you trike. Since you do both, tell us what you started with, the transition, what you like more, or the conditions that you fly trike and foot launch. Yeah, so I started with um, foot launch. And when I almost was completed with my foot launch uh, training, I pulled a muscle in my leg. And it was painful to finish my last like three or four flights. And I knew at that time that I didn't want to be 
stuck, not being able to fly. And at that time, right around that time frame, we were ordering a trike from uh, or for Jade. So I told our instructor, let's go ahead and get two trikes because I didn't want to be without. Uh, so we went ahead and ordered both trikes. And, you know, then we waited for them. They finally came in um, and Jay did her training. And I asked my instructor, I said, I want to now get my training in trike. And it was super easy for the transition. You're basically, instead of using your feet to go left and right to stay underneath your wing, you use your uh, steering with your feet to steer that front wheel to stay underneath the, um, the wing. So it was an easy transition. Now, uh, I use the trike in the wintertime when I'm flying because uh, I don't want to slip on the ice. Uh, the summertime, I will use the foot launch. Um, and I'll fly around with that. There's some situations where foot launch is a lot, a lot of fun. And if you're going to go up into the sky and play around, um, it is fun to do that on foot launch. If you're going to go up in the sky and just put, put along, um, it's the trike is the way to go. So it depends on what I feel like doing that day. It depends on if I want to be, I don't want to say lazy, but you don't have to run with a trike. Um, lazy, lazy. I mean, it's just, it's fun. I will say this. If you are physically capable of foot launch, stay as long as you can with foot launch only because, um, once you get to the point where you can't foot launch and you are forced to trike, you know, unless something happens, that's a miracle. Like you get younger, then you've, you know, you can't go back to foot launch. So um, I try to make sure I keep my foot launch skills available because I definitely do go back and forth with each, each one. That's cool. Very, yeah. I, I have to say, that's, that's really interesting, Eric. I've been listening to everything that you've been saying because I always had questions about, because everybody talked about foot launch, you know, and I was like, the foot launch is just basically, that is the paramoting Foot launches when you have the paramount on your back and you're getting ready to take off and you're running down the field. Is that what they call they call that foot launching, right? Yep. Yeah, yep, that's okay. the foot launch. So you wear it on your back and you run into the sky. Yep. Yeah. And the trike is like you're sitting in a go-kart. It's either a four-wheel or a three-wheel. Your wheel, you know, if it's a three-wheel, you have one wheel in the front. And uh, you accelerate with your throttle, you bring the wing up, and then you just steer with your feet and it'll slowly lift you into the air. So wow. Um, wow. a lot of the tandems are uh, trike or wheel launch. Um, okay. And there's a few that do foot launch tandems. Um, I think the uh, tandem on a trike is a little safer. Um, and I don't say that because statistically showing it is safer. I'm saying that because you have to have a lot of experience. Uh, to do a foot launch tandem, so you're literally a foot launch tandem. You're you're literally you're, you're both running, running, running with, together. You're running with the trike, you have the trike, and you're like you're literally standing up and you're running. No, no, the, 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 no, the, no foot launch. Foot launch is just your feet. Foot launch is just feet. Trike yeah, no, is with no wheels. wheels. 
trike is with wheels foot launches yeah but so you can't you can't get on your trike and do foot launching is that what you're saying you, that's two different no it's two different things okay gotcha. so when okay. you tandem foot launch that's both, what i'm saying tandem foot yeah, launch. yeah both people are actually running into the air so there's no wheels and when they land they they land and as i this is only for exceptional pilots that, that do this say. so yep. and they make it look very easy you could break your leg i think if you didn't know what well i think the biggest the, i think the biggest thing is is the the actual pilot that's taking the passengers in back and yeah. he has to watch a lot more things he's watching his wing he's watching his throttle control he's watching your feet to see where you're running i mean there's it's it's talent it's definitely talent yeah foot, foot lots tandem i have never seen one yet yeah and i agree with you you got to have some talent to do that but it is so hard to make that look cool you savannah has done it a, it yeah. looks this is kind of odd you know the two the two pairs of, of feet running along there i guess one runs skinny one runs long but um yeah yeah, have, have you ever done a tandem foot launch? Uh, anyone? Uh, Savannah, Savannah, and Jade have both done foot launch tandems with one of our uh, instructors here in Wisconsin, and I think he's the only one here in Wisconsin that does foot launch tandem. Hmm. And uh, the first things I did, I was a uh, foot launch passenger. Um, back in 2019, that's how I'm like, well, this is it. This is what I want to do. So you took uh, discovery flight first before you, that, so that's another important thing. Yes. To take a flight first, see if it's really something you want to do. So you exactly. took a discovery flight first and then yes. you like decided this is. Then I, yeah, I already knew, but when I went there, I'm like, oh my God, yeah. <laughs> amazing this is it i don't care what it takes you know um I, I will do everything and anything to be able to do this yeah i loved it and here you are and here i are <laughs> absolutely um well so eric he you have an actual foot launch paramotor and you actually have a tandem i'm sorry not tandem but a trike paramotor so you have two paramotors correct Yes. Yep. And you have two different wings or a single wing that you fly with both? Um, I actually have a few wings. Um, mm -hmm. And but I fly my trike and my uh, foot launch are on the same wing. Um, I do have another trike that's actually on order and it's on its way and it is a tandem trike. Um, because Jade and I are are going for our instructors so um we will be able to do um uh take passengers up also on a introductory lesson so linda very cool i know i knew my name was gonna come i, I was waiting i'm like okay I'm like, one <laughs> two three linda <laughs> right and no, just so happens that we have a just so happens we have a fly in that we go to that is 45 minutes away from Linda's house. So <sighs> hopefully we will be able to get her out there and give her the experience of what we all feel. 
awesome. that would be awesome That's pretty exciting and there's also another way of doing this ppg you can do the foot launch and then you can actually add on a trike there's a couple different well there's a lot of different trike um extensions trike uh, platform i don't know how they actually call them but your trike eric is an actual paramotor trike you could does not separate it's not a foot launch and uh, a trike to, uh, separately it's one machine it'll never be a foot launch right yep it's a dedicated um it's a dedicated machine with an engine a lot of the foot launch units have accessories that you can bolt on the wheels or strap on the wheels and they basically um they can convert back and forth fairly easy and uh you know, it gives you the foot launch feeling with wheels when you're Absolutely. flying. You can, it feels like a foot launch. Yes. And that's, that's what I have. Um, so I can foot launch, I can trike, um, and I can do either or with that same paramotor. So I have one engine, one paramotor, but I can bolt on my trike, which means I can go trike if I want to. Let me tell you the reason why I like to trike and the reason why I think having, um, the accessory to be able to trike with your foot launch. How many times have you gone to a fly-in and the wind where you are, are right here, right? You got the, the line where you have to cross and then you become, you know, then you're in the, the LZ, right? And the wind is coming from the wrong direction. So you have to go all the way over to the other side to be able to launch this way to where you guys are. Let me tell you how easy it is to do that on a trike. You get on the trike, you have your wing bag right on top of you and use your feet to steer and you just do, 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 go all the way over to the other side, set up and go fly. That is the reason why I think that everybody should have um, a retracted trike or something that you can bolt on your 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 foot launch paramotor. Um, it, it's amazing. I mean, I love it. I mean, um, how... It, it, over at fly-ins, what do you like to do, Eric? Do you like to foot launch or do you like to trike? Well, when we were at Bad Apples, I, I, I enjoyed doing the trike because of the fact that uh, it was, it's such a huge field. And, you know, I, we're always trying to stay out of the way of everybody else. So when the wind was coming from certain directions, you know, we did the trike. When we, because we ended up going there a week early. Um, and I was able to foot launch and go around and see all of the Georgia area there that we were at. And it was enjoyable doing both, but it's, uh, during the fly-in we did, um, the trike. Now, when we went to moonshiners, you know, you're, you're, you're at a, such a high elevation that the wing doesn't have as much lift. The prop doesn't, uh, bite as much so you really have to run um and that really saved us as far as um being able to launch without failed launches because of the trikes so that was that was good having a trike at, at uh, tennessee yeah I, I think it's really awesome too um here's something too what paramotor should you get if you don't know 
uh, if you haven't flown different paramotors, how do you know what paramotor to get unless you act, ask like an instructor? Uh, can you imagine before you went to your school or started learning this, you just got your your paramotor and weighing off the internet? I mean, what would you get? How, how would you even judge? Will Fly, he started off with the Atom 80. Is that correct? The Atom 80 or was it a? Yeah, Atom 80 and a Mac Paracharger. And um, you flew that for a couple of years and then you went to a Moster 185. Yep. And a, a Power to Fly Titan. And uh, yeah, but it's funny how that's, that's normal. So I can't judge somebody for thinking that way because the first thing that I thought of when I, I decided I was going to get into this sport is, okay, what motor do I need? What wing do I, what's the equipment that I need? That's just kind of, I guess, the natural progression. Um, but it would have been a mistake. I had no idea and I could look at, at something and I, I had no understanding of the sport and, uh, you know, charts and weights and, and things like that. So that's where the instructor comes in super, super handy. And I firmly believe that nobody should get without an instructor and in, uh, instructor involvement, get any gear on their own you know, uh, for especially their first wing, their first motor, because uh, that could cost you a lot of money. Exactly. Um, totally agree. How about as far as wings? Um, if you went out and you could buy a used wing or a new wing or a new motor or a used motor um, right now with the skills that you have, would you go out and buy a used wing or would you stick with uh, buying new wings? I would buy new because I can. And uh, if I, if, I wouldn't say that I would never buy used because I would if I knew the person and I thoroughly trusted that person and their reputation. Um, so yeah, I just bought a new motor and a new wing why why but but why would you need to know that person and and this of course this is a loaded question because i want people to think about this especially people that are out there right now that are thinking about getting into paramotoring you know and they're like oh i'm gonna go buy a used wing okay so let's talk with will real quick and we'll talk with eric and then we'll talk with uh i guess i'll talk with myself about new and used wings why would you need to know this person will inside and out know if they're honest or not um and know about them the reputation before you buy a used wing yeah well even if i was first starting out i probably wouldn't know anybody anyway so i would, I would have no way of judging the guy's reputation exactly um, be, because i mean it, for with a wing for example someone could say that uh yeah it's got 20 hours on it and it it's only six months old well in reality uh it might only be six years old but it has 200 hours on it, you know and i wouldn't have the eye or the knowledge to be able to distinguish the difference to be able to tell the difference without it being inspected and since that is what holds you up you know, that's what keeps you safe is those lines and that that wing above your head. Um, you need to know about that wing um, real quick. My first year of flying, I flew over 300 hours that first year, brought a brand new wing after three, uh, 300 hours, a couple of SIV clinics. I sent it in. Right. Still is a 2019 still uh, sending in 2019. They failed the wing. 
it was still crispy. It, the riser still looked brand new. Everything looked brand new, but they failed the wing because the lines were stretched and they snapped at a, a lower breaking point. I had to replace the, the lines. But even though it was a brand new 2019 wing, still crispy, still every, it still smelled brand new. If I would have sold that to somebody and somebody went out flying, they tried to do some acro, a line could have snapped. You know, and that was the same year. Can you imagine buying a, a two-year-old or a five-year-old or a ten-year-old wing? I can't imagine. How about you, uh, Mr. Eric? Uh, what kind of wing would you buy? Would you buy a brand new one or a used one? And if you bought a used one, what kind of uh, things would you have to look for to get that used wing? So I agree with uh, Will. You you kind of have to know where that wing is coming from. Um, you know, you can send a wing in before you purchase it if they're going to allow you to do that and have a porosity test done, and that's to see how much air actually flows through the material. Um, you know, that's going to an extreme. But if if you get a wing and they say, "Hey, this is a uh, 2020 wing," you know, you got to make sure you look at that manufacture date and it doesn't say 2010. Uh, make sure that it's you know they're not they're not fibbing to you, uh, and you know, the, if you're, if somebody that owned that wing before you was doing acro, yeah, those lines are going to be stretched. Um, you know, I think we had this on our discussion on a Tuesday show and that is, um, you know, both Mark and Will, I would buy wings from them because they replaced their wings after a hundred hours or 150 hours. I would have no problem flying a wing, uh, like that. I know their flying style and I know that, um, they take care of their wing. They don't leave it out in the sun um, and let it, let the uh, UV rays uh, deteriorate the wing. So, uh, and also the biggest thing is you got to remember this is what is keeping you alive. The engine will put you up there and it could die and it's going to bring you down. The wing will bring you down slowly. You know, this is the safest form of flight and uh, you have to make it, you have to make it as safe as you can make it. And, and that is, there's nothing wrong with buying used equipment. Uh, just make sure that it is coming from a reputable person and it is a well taken care of wing. If you get a wing and the leading edge is all um, chewed up from dragging it on the ground or asphalt or anything like that, you don't want that wing. You know that wing is used up. If the wing is very soft, like your bed sheet, you don't want that wing. That wing has been, uh, had a lot of hours on it. Absolutely. And that's another thing, unfortunately, uh, before you start flying is you don't know what you don't know. And you don't know what to look for when it comes to wings and motors. Uh, even when it comes to motors, you know, um, the first motor that I bought, it, it uh, is a Moster 185, but it was a classic. Um, I basically bought it really inexpensive, but the first thing I did with it is I did a hundred hour maintenance and basically learned every part of the motor before I even took my first flight on it. Um, and that's another thing. When you go to school, you get to learn about taking care of this two stroke motor, learn, you know, how to replace and how to fix the carburetors and just general maintenance on it too. Um, how much maintenance has, uh, Eric and, uh, Will done? on on their motor and how much have they learned let's go ahead and ask them real quick uh, who wants to go first about two-stroke motor maintenance 
I'll go again first because mine's okay. going to be quick. I am very unmechanically inclined, so I can change a spark plug and I can do some basic stuff. Um, but I found somebody who knows the motor inside and out. He's a professional mechanic and I let him service my motor, um, which there's nothing wrong with that as far as I see it. I mean, it's getting the proper maintenance and I know it's being done right. Um, at some point, though, I do have an interest in learning um, and maybe watching him as he's taking things apart and stuff. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's how I handle my maintenance. So so your maintenance is strictly what you do hands on is replacing the spark plug. And when you do that, how many hours? Uh, when it starts to give me problems. Oh. <laughs> I, I don't I don't fix it. You know, I don't do it every 10 hours or whatever. If, when it starts to. You know, I get that feeling, ah, it's time to, let's go ahead and change it. You know, okay. if it ain't broke, I don't fix it. Okay. So really quick, when it comes to pre-flight, um, what do you do to, to, to pre-flight your engine then? To pre-flight my motor, you talked about before warming up and stuff like that. Um, I, I, first of all, I look at it as a whole and look for anything that doesn't look right. And I'm not looking for specific things. I'm just, there's anything off. You know, it's something not quite look right. Uh, then I'll go through, I'll check the air box. I'll check the spring on the throttle, um, the uh, cap on the plug. Um, make sure the, uh, the vent is clear on the, um, uh, the filler fuel, uh, fuel cap. That's, uh, I'm sure I'm missing a lot of things. I spend a lot of time looking at my motor. Here, let me say one other thing about that. I keep my motor really, really clean. And I, if you keep your motor clean, you have a lot better chance of finding things like a cracked, uh, cracked exhaust mount, which I have found before. And that's because I was cleaning it and that's when I noticed it. But if you keep your motor clean, you got a real good shot at finding things that don't look right. Whether you can fix it or not, you know, you know that big crack down the, the plate's not right. So, um, I, of course, check the prop, you know, the leading edge of the prop, make sure there's nicks, cracks, um, anything that, you know, uh, could impede my fun flight. Absolutely. Do you check the uh, torque on any of your bolts, nuts, or screws? Yes, I do. Yeah, okay. like the head nuts. Yeah, I do have a, a torque wrench and learned all about Newton meters and <laughs> I had no idea what a freaking Newton meter was before I started. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> four foot pounds depending on which way you do it or, or, or translating between the two and <laughs> right right okay so so um you do a lot of stuff on your motor but when it comes to actually taking it apart and doing your 20 hours 50 hours 100 hours you let somebody professional do it i do i mean okay, when it came time to rebuild my carburetor i bought a new carburetor Exactly. I, I agree. I agree. I do the same thing. Um, I, I will keep the old carburetor for my students to take apart and learn. But when it comes down to it, you know, after a year, I'll just replace, I mean, 250 bucks for a carburetor. Yeah, sure. No a really, problem. really important function. And <laughs> yeah, things, can get, things can get off just a little fraction of a whatever yeah. and it screws everything up. So yeah. I, and that's, I, that's a cheap see, insurance. Yeah. Right. Did you see Brian's comment? No. Uh, he, he made a, he said, if you can only afford one thing new, buy a new wing, you need to fly. The motor just gets you up in the air. So yeah, yeah that's a good point. Absolutely. Um, 
Eric, um, how much uh, two-stroke do you do? So I do all my own maintenance uh, okay. on both Jade and my machines. Um, I don't trust anybody else working on my stuff. And that's, I do have a very strong mechanical background though. Um, this, uh, as far as I see a lot of people in there, you know, change your spark plug and I have a hundred hours on my motor. I've never changed a spark plug. You know, when you're going to have problems with it, it's hard starting, yada, yada. Um, and if it's going to fail in mid flight, you could have a brand new plug that fails in mid flight. So, um, I, I changed the plugs when, as like Will said, when I start having a problem, I'll change it. I haven't changed plugs in all any of my machines. Uh, and I think I got like a hundred hours on one. So, but uh, actually we're gonna be going down to Florida and doing a 200 hour service on uh, Shane's motor. And um, we will be doing a video on that. Um, we will be rebuilding a carburetor, uh, checking, you know, the pop-off pressure and making sure that's all good. Um, but uh, yeah, I will, I will do all of the maintenance myself on all of our machines. It is very easy to do. Um, it's just somebody needs to show you how to do it and anybody can do it. So when it comes to that, hopefully the video that uh, Shane makes will be something that's educational and um, it'll kind of teach people how to do the 200 hour service. Um, and uh, we'll go from there. Absolutely. Um, just want to say thank you, Nick Griffith, that uh, donated five bucks in the super chat uh by the way buddy you did win a shirt last uh week i need your address so text me or message me or something and uh let me know where you want that sent and what size please um as far as me and my maintenance i do a i do it all myself um number one i have to because I need to teach my students how to do it. So uh, I got an Adam 80 and I got a Moster 185 that I break down and basically we'll break it down, show all the pieces, put it back together and watch it work. Um, I replace the seals or, 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 um, <laughs> pretty often uh, only because when I have new students, it's easy to go through and place the seals. Um, I take off the head um, uh, every five or 10 hours and I just scrub the head down, make sure that little exhaust port is uh, clear and I show uh, my students how to do that. When you lose a little bit of performance, you change out that uh, spark plug, which I do every 10 hours or so because they're so cheap. It's like two bucks over at, um, O'Reilly's or uh, any AutoZone, uh, they're really inexpensive for the Moster 185, uh, also for the Adam 80s. And it's really easy just to break it, everything down. Um, I get lots of uh, um, the uh, copper bolts, the, the one-time use that you can use maybe two or three, but once they don't catch anymore, you got to let them go. Um, they're supposed to be one time, but I think they can be used like three or four times. Um, but when it comes to 
the issues that I've had in the past when I first started flying, it was always my spark plug. Something always happened with the spark plug. And I found that changing it out every 10 hours, I have no more issues with that. Once a year, I change out all of the fuel lines. I change out my carabiners, meaning I buy new carabiners. I buy new uh, dog bones, the ones that wrap around and the carabiners hook, hook onto. Those are the dog bones. I replace those once a year. I know you don't have to, but they are so inexpensive. And these are the failure points that could fail. Why would I want something that could fail when it takes 20 bucks to replace them, 30 bucks for two carabiners and, uh, you know, a couple bucks for a spark plug? You know, those are your failure points. Take care, you know, get those things taken care of. Um, I also bring a little toolbox, a little tool bag with me when I fly. Uh, the motor outs that I've had were always something that were really easy to take care of. I keep little um, zip ties with me and little um, scissors so I can zip tie things. Uh, sometimes things break. Um, I have a, another set of um, or one or two um, bolts just in case one shears off. I had one time that one of my prop bolts sheared and flew off. Now, I didn't go through the prop because, you know, it's already, already on the other side of the prop. But when I landed at one of our... Um, um, XCs, I went through before I started. I'm like, holy crap, I'm missing a bolt. Took a bolt, put it in, torqued it in, and I was ready to go. Um, so as far as I know the time, look at it, it's 8.30. Who needs to go? Do we need to go anytime soon, pretty soon, before 9 o'clock, another half an hour? I'm good. You're good for a little bit? Yep. Yeah, I'm good for a little bit. All right, for a little bit longer. That. What's that? How about the bag, John? I totally had not thought about the bag, the extra, you know, bag for the wing. And most new wings come with two bags. They normally come with the big bag, you know, the big stuff sack. Exactly. And then the bag that the wing comes in all folded about this big in that little bag. Well, what I do is I keep that little bag wrapped up and in another pocket in my paramotor. One time when I landed out because my my um, starter didn't start after we landed on an XC. That's when we went over um, and flew from Hazen down to Stuttgart and went around the um, the uh, the the boneyard, the the uh, airplane boneyard. I went back to start it up, and the starter went poop and it was gone. And I wadded up my wing, stuffed in a little stuff bag, and then when everybody came back to save me. It was easy. You know, I didn't have to worry about a bag. And also, too, if you don't have one of those little bags, a 55-gallon uh, black trash bag, it rolls up really, really super tiny. You can put it in any pocket. Hell, you can put it in your back pocket before you go. It's always good to have a an emergency wing bag. And what do you think, guys, as far as emergency wing bag in case you land out? That's super important because I've landed out twice, and both times I didn't have, and I had, didn't have a way to store the wing. You know, other than in the back of a pickup while I'm holding on, <laughs> holding on yeah. to it. <laughs> Eric, have you ever had a, a, a motor out or you had a land out where you had to, um, you know, wad up your wing someplace? Yep. I was flying along and all of a sudden it started raining. So I, I landed 
And I didn't have a wing bag. And like Will said, it was in the back of a pickup truck while he's going down the highway. So you're trying to keep this thing from inflating and yanking you off. But I do now, because of that instance, I do now fly with the wing bag. And on the trike, I'll put it underneath me and it acts as a cushion. So, oh, um, you know, and in the foot launch, I'll put it underneath the storage that's in the, um, that's under the seat. That's good. That's awesome. Yeah. So there's a lot of things that hopefully we went through and covered, uh, in this little short hour and a half podcast that maybe you didn't know about, maybe you didn't think about, you know, um, keeping some tools with you and what kind of tools do you keep? Um, here's something. So what kind of tools do you keep on you if you, uh, paramotor and you think that you might land out, uh, will Eric, do you keep a little tool bag with you? And if you do, what do you have with you? I don't, don't forget though. I was coming from an Adam 80 and right. I tried to keep the weight down as much as I possibly could. No excuse. I probably should, but even to this day, I don't, I do have tools, but I have mm -hmm. them in the back of my car. Right. Yep. Uh, same here. I don't carry tools with me per se. Um, I, I think the tools that I carry are my, um, water inflatables and because, you know, where I fly and, uh, uh, boy, I tell you what, I, I, I don't want to say I'm unprepared, but I, um, I really watch my outs, um, the one mechanical failure that I did have was at Bad Apples when my throttle cable came off of my throttle arm and I landed out in, I don't know what kind of field it was, uh, cotton maybe, and uh, I went and was able to put my throttle cable back together and relaunch out of the field. So um, that was my only mechanical out and I've taken care of that problem. Um, if you were to land out, what kind of tools do you think that you would need to take care of most reasons why you would land out? I've, uh, you know, uh, one of the, I, I found a screwdriver that's like, I think they call it like an eight way or a not 10 way or whatever. It has, uh, kind of like socket size fittings on there it has the normal sizes the quarter inch five sixteenths three eighths then it has phillips uh regular screwdriver it has the number two square head it's kind of a handy tool mm -hmm. or you know if somebody carries a leatherman with you because then you have the pliers on top of you know some of those other things um i think the best tool to have is a cell phone because if you're having a mechanical problem where you're actually coming down it may not be something you can fix with a Leatherman or a um, screwdriver. So always keep some form of communication. That's, that's good. And always make sure that you have some sort of way of recharging your phone, just in case you are flying around, having a good time. And now you're down to, you know, 3%, you're able to plug into something and uh, charge your phone. How about you, Will, if you were to land out, what tools do you think would be good to carry? Well, based on what happened on my first landing out, I needed to either change the spark plug. So do you carry an extra spark plug with you? I carry a spark plug and a spark plug tool, yes. Okay. Um, so either that or I would have needed to make, which 
I think was the case, uh, a slight adjustment to the curve. And I didn't have a tiny, you know, the, the tiny little uh, screwdriver you would need to make that adjustment. So at the very least, I guess, <laughs> a way of changing a spark plug and mm -hmm. uh, uh, a set of um, screwdrivers. I have a eight millimeter, 10 and a 13 wrench that I keep in there because that's pretty much all of my uh, nuts and bolts that I have on there. Um, I keep a small screwdriver that I can pull out this way and put in so I got the flathead on one side and Phillips on the other. That way I can pretty much adjust everything. I keep zip ties with a little cutter. That way I can zip tie anything that may need to be cut. Um, and the little cutter is like a little scissors type of thing. The reason... What's that? Allen wrenches, a set of Allen, Allen wrenches. Yeah, I don't carry any Allen wrenches uh, with me. Maybe I should, but I haven't had that issue yet. Thank God. So the reason why I carry those is because I had a couple of outs. Let me tell you about my outs and what happened and how I fixed them and was able to relaunch. Um, I really haven't had, except for when my exhaust exploded and went through my prop, and I had to land out, I was able to fix all my other problems and relaunch. All right. One of my um, issues was I ran out of gas. Well, I didn't run out of gas. What happens, I have, I have two tanks. So I have the main tank, and then the second tank, all right, will be drawn into the main tank. Well, for some reason, um, there was a little bit of an air suction, or it wasn't clipped on there tight. It was kind of an old... Um, uh, old fuel line. So I ran out of gas for my main tank, but my second tank was full. So when I landed, what I did is I cut that fuel line, pushed it down all the way and zip tied it around. And that way it would draw into the main tank, took off and flew. Um, I can't remember the other times, but so with all the weight and tools, do you have to add that into the total weight of your machine to get that 254 pounds or whatever it is? Under the FR-103 and our ultralight rules and regulations and laws, um, if your machine with, uh, I can't remember if it's with gas or without gas, is under 254 pounds, that doesn't include, I don't think it includes gas and it does not include um, safety. Like if you had a reserve, um, uh, the uh, air floats like you have. So if my air floats are, are, are 50 pounds and my reserve is 50 pounds, no, it's not really 50 pounds, but that doesn't count towards the 254 pounds. Actually, I think they give you 30 pounds for emergency equipment. I think I think it's up to like 30 pounds, but I don't think it's specified under the FR-103. Um, and the tools and stuff, I think that would be part of it. But can you imagine a 254-pound um, foot launch? I, I don't think a couple pounds of tools really makes any difference. When I launch, I launch with five gallons, which is six pounds per gallon. So it's 30 pounds extra that I launch with uh, every time I launch. Um, the uh, tools are less than a pound. I mean, think about it. It's just three wrenches, a screwdriver, a bunch of uh, zip ties, and a scissors. 
you know, it's, it's really nothing there. Um, the, the bag is so light. I don't even think it really weighs much. I mean, think about it. It's, it's like, uh, um, when those really small wing bags, it doesn't weigh much at all. It takes a little, a little bit of space because you got to wad it up. I mean, it takes space, but if I wanted to take off weight, I would go with one less gallon of gas. That's where I would lose most of my weight is with the gallons of gas. Um, I think it's important to have tools. I think it's important to have um, the safety equipment, like the air floats, especially if you're going to be flying over water, and a reserve. I mean, I personally like a, a reserve. Um, I'd rather have it and not need it than to be going down for my last 30 seconds of life and going, God, why didn't I put that reserve on today? Yeah. Well, <laughs> well. <laughs> Hey, I looked it up. So it's weighs less than 254 pounds, empty weight, so no fuel, excluding floats and safety devices, which are intended for deployment in a potentially catastrophic situation. So in that situation, then the tools would count as part of the 254 pounds, um, but the floats would not, that's it upon it. Yeah. And the uh, reserve would not. Is right. That kind of how you understand it. That sounds right. Yes. I read it. If you ever, I mean, if you're so close to 254 pounds that you're worried about going over, um, you're probably on a trike. So uh, I don't think that we really have to worry too much about foot launch. Uh, and, and the, okay. And the power between the um, Adam 80 that you had before and the uh, 185, the most 185 that you have. And you weigh about um, what, 175, you said? Will? No, 150. You weigh 150. 150. You weigh 150, have a 185, uh, most of 185 on you. Um, what at, at what weight do you think that most of 185 would not be able to lift you up off the ground? Uh, oh, I I don't have any idea, but I'd hope that I'll never ever approach that in my lifetime. <laughs> right. So I mean, even if you had five pounds of gas, you know, you had a reserve and you had a toolbox you could still run and get off the ground probably pretty easy. Yeah, absolutely. And how much fuel do you usually use when you're going, um, do you top off your tanks? I top off my tanks all the time because I, 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 I want to eventually do an Icarus race. So when I fly, I try to max out the most weight I can every single time so I can get the skill that I'll need to get whenever they do the Icarus race after this COVID thing's over. Right. Well, that was one of my concerns that I wasn't going to, because I, I knew I was going to burn more fuel than the Atom 80. And I still have that not, has not happened yet, but it probably will. Um, but I was con concerned that my flights, I would need to carry a lot more fuel in the Moster so that I, because my flights are about an hour and a half long in the summer. So I wanted to, I thought that was going to be an issue, but it wasn't. So I always put in eight liters of fuel. Which is about two gallons of gas ish, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So, and yeah, that, that hasn't affected my, I'm, I'm confident that if I topped that tank up, uh, top, topped it off, that I would have no problem. Long okay. Time. I was going to say with the tool issue and the fuel issue, I think that really depends on what your flying style. So Sean, I know you fly. I mean, you go up and you don't come down until you're sucking fumes for hours. And when we fly, we'll fly for half hour to an hour and a half at the most. 
and um, you know we're coming down, but we're going from basically our airport. We'll tool around there for a little bit, and then we'll go over to another pretty familiar place. So um, you know our flying styles are a little different, um, and yeah, we don't top off our fuel. I topped off my fuel tank once and realized that I only use like four liters of fuel and I didn't have to fill it up for the next three flights. Right. Well, I mean, I mean, I go up, uh, I have five gallons with my flying style will last a little over two and a half hours. However, I make my flight a two hour flight. So I always have an extra half an hour of oops gas to get me back in case there's a headwind change, um, I land out because, or or I XC myself. You know, it's like, oh, look at that. That's really cool. I want to go there. So I land there and then I decide, oh, shoot, I got to get back. And it's taking me a little bit longer because there's a headwind. So I always have an extra half an hour of oop gas because I don't want to uh, run out of gas and land short of my LZ. So um, I do a lot of cross countries. I think my... My average flights are over 50 miles uh, ground trekking um, when I fly. So I like to fly a lot, I like to fly far and check things out. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I mean, sometimes I like to, uh, most of my flying is just wandering around. But mm -hmm. every once in a while, it feels good to like have a mission you know, like to go to a specific lake or a specific field or, um, so I just like to tool around for the most part. Do you do right. uh, touch and goes? Oh, yes. Yes. Good. Let's, let's talk about touch and goes. we got about 15 minutes left and I'm glad that you said something about touch and goes. Um, uh, before that, I would like to say that when I start my flying mission on my XCs, I always look at the wind direction and I always fly into that, into the wind. So depending on which way the wind's coming is depending on which way I'm heading out first. And I'm always going into the wind that way on the way back. Um, my ground speed is like 70 miles an hour and it's so fun, but yeah, touch and goes. Um, what is considered a touch and go? What is considered a flight? Um, if you take off, and fly and come in for a landing obviously that's one flight but if you go up come in and do a touch and then keep on going and go was that a flight and did it stop and is this a second flight what is a touch and go and how long do you have to be on the ground for that touch to be considered a landing before you go up around again so that is what we're going to be talking about right now touch and go what is a flight when does it end when does it start will will what well, is a to, to you what is a flight is a flight when you start and then you land is a touch and go start as a flight is, is that a landing well the, are you asking the old will or the new will let's just ask you now let's just ask you now since uh since you are the new will okay well remember i came from a flying background okay right. and a touch and go from a, an instructor's point of view is counted as a separate flight and and so that's where i was coming from and i know that in the past we had dis discussed this and right. I, I think your stance sean is that 
a touch and go is not a separate flight. It's part of the same flight. And uh, I had given that a lot of thought, not intentionally, but you know, some things just kind of enter the back of your head and all of a sudden you formulated a completely opposite view of it. There is an important distinction to make. When you're flying an airplane and you're doing a touch and go, the wing is no longer capable of supporting its weight. Mm -hmm. It is no longer creating lift. Right. When you're doing a touch and go on a paramotor, that wing is still flying. It has not stopped flying. If it has, well, you're not going to be doing a touch and go. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. so um, the, it doesn't mean that the touch and go is meaningless. And I don't, I'm not saying that the touch and go serves a good purpose. You're getting practice with the flare and practice landing and all, but it is not a separate flight. It is a touch and go. So I went back through my, my personal log and I log every single flight that I've ever made. Um, not that we have to, or that it's a requirement, but who, who knows, maybe someday it might be and they might want some records. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but uh, 8%, less than 8% of my landings are touch and goes. Mostly they're full landings. So by that, I mean, that uh, the wing was on the ground when I started and the wing hit the ground when I finished. That's a flight. You know, I, I agree. Words, here, here's, here's the other thing. Other words, by, by the line of reasoning that a touch and go would count as a separate flight, man, every time I did a foot drag, I'd get 10 or 20 flights. Right? All I did was my leg and it just touched the ground. <laughs> it'd be like 10 freaking flights, man. Right. But but what if you come in for a touch and go, right? You got some good um some good breeze. Maybe it's good eight mile an hour steady laminar wind. And you come in, right? And then you stop. You're just kiting it, right? Then you give right. it some gas, you start going. I still think that that's considered a touch and go. This is this is the this is what I think we should do as pair motors, because it's not a fixed wing. When you let that wing come off the ground, right? No matter what you do, when you land, it touches the ground. Now, that's one flight. However, keep track of your touch and goes during your flight. So I think um, you should say this. I had three flights and I had five touch and goes. Awesome. So, I mean, uh, or I had one flight and 10 touch and goes keep track of your touch and goes but that one flight from the wing touching the ground and then touching the ground again that's the one flight but keep track of your touch and goes keep track of your foot drags keep touch of the you know i landed and i just stood there and i kited the wing for five minutes and then i took off again you know but wing touch the ground up in the air when it touches the ground that's one flight i think personally as a paramotor pilot it makes perfect sense for this sport it absolutely does. When something's going to go wrong on a launch, it's probably going to go wrong right as that wing starts coming up. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, that's the experience that I would consider part of a complete flight, you know? So, and I agree with you wholeheartedly, touch and goes are not meaningless. They're valuable. It's very and, valuable. And Keep track of getting some good experience quickly without having to go through the whole setup process. And so, yeah. Absolutely. Exactly. Well, how about this? You know, one of the things I was doing before 
um, my incident with my uh, roaster uh, three is I would come in, right, land like this, right, let the wing fall back, and then I would run forward, inflate it, and go again while the motor was still on. One time it came back, the gust brought it to my exhaust and burnt a big hole in it. I'm like, oh, I will never do that again. You're going to say you turtled. <laughs> no, no. Um, I have turtled in the past, but uh, no, that wasn't the time. Uh, so I don't let it fall back and then relaunch again like that. Um, uh, that, that, that was an expensive um, touch and go or land and go. I don't know what to call it. Yeah. Uh, how about you guys in the chat? What do you think? What is considered a flight for paramotors? Do touch and goes count as flights or should we count the whole flight and touch and goes separately? Eric, what do you think, bud? I think that uh, when that wing, like Will says, when that wing loses lift, that's a flight. Um, you know, when, when you're running with it, you, that's just a continuation of the flight you started when you do a touch and go. Um, they are valuable. Um, so, and it does, it, it teaches you that muscle memory of your flares. It also teaches you, um, you know, how fast you're going to be coming in. And it, th there's a lot of value there. I just don't think that, um, uh, it should count when you do a touch and go as two flights. Uh, I, it was funny, Sean in the chat, said he has millions well yeah i mean if if we're going to count them we all have a lot of flights but uh yeah i think when that wing loses its lift and can't fly anymore then uh that's that's a that's a flight yeah and it's not a competition i mean no, no. It's, it's about having fun remember i mean there's always going to be someone who's got more flights than i do i mean i don't care that's great um, it, so it's just about personal achievement and, and, you know, my competition is myself. I'm just trying to get better at landing and better at takeoff, in particular, no win takeoffs. <laughs> um, so yeah. It's all and, good. um, and how long do you actually count your flights anyways? You know, um, I stopped counting flights and I, then I started counting my 100 hour maintenance on my motors. So I don't count flights anymore. I count 100 hour maintenances. Now, after my sixth one, I don't even count my maintenance anymore. I'm just like, okay, I fly paramotors. I do a lot of cross countries, but I have no idea my flights. I don't understand. I don't know my times. I, I couldn't tell you how many flights I've taken, how many foot drags I've done, or how many touch and goes. I have no clue because every chance I get every morning, every uh, midday, every evening that's flyable, I go out there and fly. Um, uh, I know that there's been some weekends that I had to do a 25 hour maintenance because over the weekend I did 25 hours. Um, I look at my gas tanks that I have, I got uh, four five gallon tanks and it's not uncommon for me to go through all of those uh, five gallon tanks that I have in my garage over the course of a week. Wow, that's a lot so, of freaking flying. That's oh, what I'm saying. It's like, yeah, you got the you're, you're on the tri the trike though. You got uh, you have what motor do you have? I got the Moster 185. Okay, well that's a lot of flying, man. 
It's a lot of flying, which is why I do a lot of, you know, a lot of maintenance. That's why, you know, it's like, I don't mind pulling out a spark plug every 10 hours and throwing it away and putting it in a new one. You know, I don't mind popping off that head every, every, uh, 10 hours, scrubbing off the, uh, the head and, um, and make sure that little port's clear because that clogs up quickly. And that will be, that's the biggest thing that I've noticed every 10 hours, take off the head, scrub the head. Uh, clean out that exhaust port and change out the the spark plugs. No problems. Oh my God, no problems at all. And then when I do my hundred hour maintenance or my 200 hour, hour maintenance, the insides are great. I mean, it's like, it's amazing what um, that does. And I always do 50 to one um, um, modal 710. I always use more oil than necessary. And that keeps my parts um better uh 200 hours on my head you can't even tell it's 200 hours on the head i've seen a lot of 200 hour heads and they're like warped or there's a big divot you know because it overheated or the rings you know are wore out man 200 hour heads and the rings look like they're freaking brand new uh, my bearings and stuff look really good too um that's something that you all need to remember at 100 hours change out the bearings um this one person didn't change it out uh didn't do their 100 hour maintenance and at 114 ish hours one of the bearings broke loose bounced around came up hit the head and the top of the uh, thing just divot it to hell and had to replace pretty much everything had to place the head, had to replace the uh, the piston head. The walls had to be um, uh, redone. It was it was a disaster, and it was a five dollar part. The bearings. Ooh, Ouch. yeah. Um, our parts are so cheap, and is to me, it's just worth you know spending five hundred bucks a year to replace you know, uh, to do a good five, $500 maintenance. And that's including your dog bones, your, your, uh, your, your carabiners and spark plugs throughout the year. I mean, it's not that expensive. Will, like you said, having GA, having a real airplane, you know, you're spending a lot of money with a real airplane. Yeah. Yeah. And I, thanks to the sport, I learned how to pronounce the word carabiner. I always called it a carabiner. <laughs> that's great. Well, carabiner. Well, that that's funny. I mean, well, I mean, it depends on where you're from too, because you, we say aluminum, and over in uh, Europe they say aluminium. Aluminium. Yeah. Aluminium. Yep. Aluminium. Aluminium. What's up, Walter? You say aluminium down uh, under? Yeah, but I, uh, I, I'm a bit yanketized, so I say aluminum as well, and people look at you funny. But, <laughs> yeah, aluminium. Yep, aluminium. Uh, can I just have a little poke on what you're saying about touch and goes and uh, what you consider flights? Absolutely, bud. Yeah, thanks, um, Shane. No, I'm Sean, not Shane. Good try. Just call me Grandpa. You'll never, you'll never get me messed up. My name is Sean Simons, PPG Grandpa. You don't. I go by Shane if you want to. That's no problem. But call me, call, call me Grandpa. You'll never mess up my name again. 
and, and it, they all come together at me and, yeah, love you all anyway. But, guys, getting back to uh, touch and goes and flights, really with an aircraft, when you start your engine, that's your flight because you're in control of, a, of an aircraft that the engine has started. You are in control from that moment. So whether you've got your motor on your back and it's running, whether you've got the kite up, that's, that's your flight. Now, to me, it's not until you sit down and shut your motor off, land, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Touch and goes, they're all landings because in a normal aircraft, you'd do a circuit. So doing a circuit, that's the whole procedure and doing it right, you know, take off 500 feet, bank left, turn, climb to to uh, a thousand feet and downwind, reduce your power, do your calls, all of that. And then you set up for landing from, from when you turn to base. And um, so you, you're in control and a, a touch and go is simply just a landing. It's a procedure for you to, to know what you're doing in the circuit, climb out again, back to a thousand feet. You know, I've done, I've done 11 or 12 in one hour. Uh, touch and goes and it could be different you can have a touch and go in a glide so you at a thousand feet you shut off your motor and you glide into the into the runway so with a power parachute um, especially for me with wheels uh, I do count all of my landings as I do with any aircraft because that's and touch and goes is considered a landing so in, in normal practice, your landing gear, <laughs> it is the most important part when you come into the runway. Now, in a PPG, you've got your legs, so you don't really have to count, apart from how many times you might injure yourself, <laughs> you don't have to count your landings. But on a PPC or a trike, it would be good to keep your landings because, you know, you've got suspension. Mine's a bit more sophisticated. I've got like a uh, mountain bike type front end with suspension and disc brake. So I monitor my landings and, and as we know, we have good ones and we have bad ones. And sometimes when we have a bad one, we've got to stop and, you know, inspect, maintain the machine and make sure that everything's still in one piece. Now you fly, you fly a PPC, which is a powered parachute, a PPC. And Eric, you fly a trike PPG. Uh, Mark H, PPG trike jockey in the chat said, how about on a trike? What about a touch and taxi for several hundred feet to 100 yards before taking off again? A flight school counted this as a flight because it took more skill training, I guess. So um, as a PPC, you think that once your wheels land, even if you trike even if you taxi that's still considered one flight is that correct you're still in flight your shoot still up your shoots maintaining your direction whatever you're right? still in flight it's the same with an aircraft an aircraft when the wheels touch on the ground you are still considered flying because your control services uh, will move you either way, you know, your ailerons, your, your rudder, your elevator will affect you even on, on the ground. So it's considered you're still in flight. 
So that moment you're on the ground and then instantly you, you repower, you might pull your flaps up, whatever you need, blah, 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 and, uh, and, and, and go again. So you're, you're always in control. The man is in control. The pilot is in control as soon as the engine starts. So with, with your PPC, you have to have a pilot's license and you actually have an end number, right? So do you have to, as a, a pilot, keep track of your actual um, flights? Yes, yes. I okay. Um, Eric? Even though I'm a, sorry guys, even though I'm a PPC, um, because of my weight of the machine, the size, everything else, I'm in another category, which is almost like sports aircraft. That's why my machine, full flight, full fuel, me in it, uh, can get over 800 pounds. Okay, so so that's a little bit different. Uh, where we work under the FAR 103, it's a little bit different with ultralights. Eric, uh, since you fly um, trike, what do you think? Is that considered a flight when your wheels go off the ground, you come back around and you taxi? Is that still one flight? Or do you think, um, or would you count that as uh, a flight with a touch and go? So I'll be honest, I'm still stuck on the toad sucking thing. (laughs) I'll answer your question. Um, uh, So I think with the wing above you, until that wing falls, that, that wing is still flying. Now, Back to Mark, Mark, that is incredible kiting skills. And on a trike, uh, that is very difficult. And a lot of people can't do that. Um, But that is awesome training that, you know, you're getting by being able to do that. And I would not take that away from anybody. If If you can kite that wing down a runway and take back off, that's, that is awesome. I mean, I watched Jay do that and she's very good at kiting the wing with the trike. Um, and it's, it is actually a, it's, it's like watching an orchestra. I mean, it's, 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 that's talent. So, uh, would I consider that a flight or a, a touch and go being two flights? No. Um, but that is talent. Now, the reason that they did that in training is because they can count that as another flight to get you through um, the program. So, and and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, Our instructor did that also on touch and goes, was considered one of our 25 flights. Um, But more importantly, the kiting skills that you're getting by doing exactly what you're doing, you know, for a hundred yards, that's amazing. So, that, which is awesome. why you should log, which is why you should keep a good log of that, because that yeah. is a good experience. Exactly. Exactly. I guess the big thing is, you know, um, what you do in school as far as when they do that touch and go for more than one flight, that's great for school. But I think once you leave school, maybe you should count each flight and then a side note three or four, whatever touch and goes, or a um, a hundred foot taxi or whatever you're doing during that one flight. Um, I think that's a little bit more accurate on what we're talking about as far as flying trike or foot launching. Um, Cause like I said, I, I could come in, right? Motor still on, uh, let that wing fall behind me 
and then go forward, inflate it and take off again with my motor still on, right? So my motor was still on for two different flights. Was that two different flights? Was that considered a touch and go? So you know, the so wing touch the ground and the wing touched the ground, but my motor was still on. Oh, yeah, so that's that's, still, that's two flights. That's two flights because that wing lost uh, lift. Yes, I, I agree. So wings that yeah. touch the ground, you know, that's one flight. You can do taxis. You can do touch and goes. You can do foot drags. Um, all sorts of cool things you can do during that one flight. But make note on that one flight. I did three touch and goes. I did a, a hundred yard taxi. I stopped and kited the wing for five minutes because I had good laminar air. You know, I landed on a telephone pole with one foot <laughs> and stood there for a moment. I landed and I walked up a camper and then I took off again. I mean, you're still with that one that one flight. But once again, after your first year of flying paramotors, um, I don't think that you're counting flights anymore. You're probably counting our maintenances or, you know, how many, you know, how many XCs you've done or or something like that, because flights they don't seem to mean anything to me anymore because I can't keep track. It's just way too many. What do you guys think? I have not, since I left school, I'll be honest, I haven't kept track of my flights. I do have my hour meter on my machines. Um, I do keep track of that. Mm -hmm. I just, I don't keep track of my flights. Yeah. Oh, uh, um, how do you know that someone's done a hundred hours? He may have only done 10. You know, over here we have a, a log book. So the flight, where you're going, where you where you, where you uh, taken off from, the time in up to tenths of uh, a minute, so uh, hour, so every six minutes is a tenth. Oh, yeah. Our machines, we have a little meter that keeps track of um, how many reps and how long the machine's been on. So, so yeah, you could actually probably have it on a rack and let it run for, for 20 hours. And you can say, yeah. look, my motor's been on for 20 hours. I've been flying for 20 hours, you know, so. No, but basically, if your engine's on, uh, um, let's say you're, you're at 80.6 hours. Okay, so I know the time of my flight started at 80.6. Now, if I land at uh, 81.5, that ends up at uh, what? Uh, um, 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 yeah, uh, 40, 40, 50 minutes, whatever it works out to, you know. So you, you, your log is there straight away. And then in the log, we have things like, yes, your landings, your touch and goes. And then there's remarks. So you can add things that you did. I might have done three touch and goes, three glide approaches, uh, engine off landing from 3,500 feet to a paddock, you know, all that sort of stuff. The and touch and goes, that's right. The touch and goes are separate, right? Yeah. yeah. Even yeah. in the log even and the landings the are separate. Even like conditions, you know, in my remarks, I might put it, oh, you know, it was very warm and the atmospheric was, you know, 30.61 or, you know, whatever. Uh, just I'm so glad we don't have to do logs, PPG. Uh, that, yeah. I'm, I'm just saying. Um, just, 
it's easy. You come down from your flight, you know, just like you might be having a cuppa or, a, you know, a cold drink after, and you got your logbook and just fill it in. It only takes two seconds. <sighs> memory's fresh. You know, if you're teaching, Sean, you can't do that because you've got to go and tell, talk to them or debrief. But, you know, I'm, I'm glad. It is I'm... really a little debrief after your flight. And, I'm glad and, that you did say that, though, um, because I do keep track of my hours from my hour meter that my motor is on. Yeah. Okay. Um, number one, when I get up to 5,000 feet and I turn off my motor, I don't know how long I'm gliding with my motor off. Okay. Um, I let my engine warm up on my rack between one and five minutes, depending on the day and how cold it is. So. I honestly don't know the exact hours I have flown, but I do know how long my motor's been on. And that's when Viterazzi says to do certain maintenance so things don't happen to my motor. Um, once again, for flights, I don't know about flights. I don't know how many miles I've gone. Um, I do know when I need to maintenance my motor. I think that's the only reason why I care about hours on my motor is strictly to maintenance it wow it's after nine o'clock we've been talking a lot this was only supposed to be one hour look at us go yeah. this is this is crazy it's been fun it's yeah it's been really good um wow once we start talking paramotors it's like i guess we can talk all night long <laughs> um but anyway um i guess it is time to, to to wrap this all up um anybody have any uh anything they want to say about uh flying anything that they're going to do i know that this uh christmas on the 25th is going to be a saturday and it's supposed to be 70 degrees over here um i think uh i think friday is supposed to be 73 uh christmas is supposed to be 70 and then I think it's supposed to be 70 on Sunday. Oh, um, I think it's all, Sean. I think it's all I, flyable. Bad for you, Sean. I'm not sure if it's all flyable because of the wind, but we'll find oh. out. So I guess real quick, if you're still in the super chat, what are your, um, what's Christmas going to be like for you? Is it going to be flyable? Is it going to be, uh, what's the temperature going to be like? How about you guys uh, in the, in the panel here? What's, what's your, What's your temperature supposed to be like? What's the weather supposed to be like? Will it be flyable for Christmas? I think it's supposed to be it, warm and flyable. It will be flyable. And actually, we will be getting on a plane to go down to Florida where it's warm. I heard Jade told me about it. <laughs> so, yes, it's going to be flyable for us. <laughs> good That's answer. Awesome. Good answer. Very good answer. No, it's going to be, I think Christmas Day, it's supposed to be. Um, it's supposed to be rainy and it's going to be kind of windy. Like Friday, it's supposed to be kind of rainy. And the, I mean, um, when is Christmas? When is Christmas Day? Sunday? Saturday? Saturday. Saturday. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, yeah. So they said it's supposed to be kind of windy and rainy on Christmas Day. Mark H PPG trike jockey said thanks Sean just rub it in so I guess I guess you're not Mark I guess you're not going uh, to uh, fly um, let's see what else does it say in the super chat um, uh, flying here Christmas Day says Bill H um, it will be like a fly, five minute flight says Nick Griffith Nick 
Griffith, you won a shirt. Text me. Let me know your address. So I can send you out a shirt for you. How do you uh, do a five-minute flight? That's pretty. You know, yeah, it takes. Up nice in the air, go down. That's on, it. But you can fly. Well, I mean, I guess it's to say that you flew on Christmas, I suppose. Daniel Roosh Roosh says it's snowing and cold here in Idaho. But is he going to fly? I know. It's like, but are you going to (laughs) fly? It snowed Uh, here today. It's okay, though. I love uh, it. Bill H. said 77 here and sunny. Oh, talking about rubbing it in, Bill H. Jeez. Oh my God! Get the suntan lotion out there. Jesus. I Bill know. H. Bill H. Um, where do you live, and why is it seventy-seven degrees there on Sunday? Anybody else? Yeah, I think Bill's down in Texas. It's, it's always so windy in Texas. Always. I want to go down in Texas and fly with peeps, but um, do it, do it's, it. It's always so windy. It's like almost not flyable. Um, Josh Perry is going to drag me down, drag me down south here a couple weeks. I'm going to fly my butt off in some warm freaking air, says Hot Buttered Productions. Oh, Lord. (laughs) Uh, Looks like for us, Friday afternoon is going to be flyable and uh, Thursday afternoon will be flyable. So we might take a few laps around the... uh, the neighborhood oh, that's good yeah. for about five minutes yeah it's not long is it uh, 22 degrees and uh 20 oh 28 degrees oh so, hey, Bella, time, you guys count though for the very second you get out of the car or whatever you start counting that as a flight because you guys are flying to get you <laughs> yeah. Yeah. go on i can just see it <laughs> yeah, we, uh, we we drive them out of the garage and right down to the lake and we quickly set them up. We just, you know, we were talking about touch and goes. So we get them into the air and then quickly settle them back down. So that's a flight. There you go. It's about a 30 second flight. That's a flight. <laughs> You're like, that's enough. Okay. Now go into no, hot chocolate. Right. No, it's, it's. <laughs> You know, when you go up, every time you go up, something else is going on. Either you, you might have cold fingers, you might have the air going down your cuffs. Jade went up and she did a, a, a loop and her forehead was exposed. So it felt like pins and needles on her forehead. Um, you know, so you always forget that little to pull the, 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 the headpiece down to protect that or, you know, to put it up over your um your nose and mouth. You, you just try to remember everything, but you always seem to forget something. <laughs> and you got to come down. That gives me chills. Just I get cold just taking the freaking garbage out to my parking lot at my apartment over here. Linda, <laughs> if you want to know what it's like, just go 20 miles an hour in your car and hang your head out the window. Okay. <laughs> I'll do that next time my son picks me up. I'll just stick my head out the window. There you and go. he does that periodically because he'll, he'll like throw the heat on, you know, on the truck. And then I'd be well, like, okay, I'm good now. Are you good? Okay. Well, then I'll turn the heat off. No, mess with me. And then I'll hit the button and the, the back window will go down, you know. Okay, mom, right? are you cooled off? You're all right. You know, and it's like, yeah. So the only thing know. that gets cold on me when I fly is my hands. 
Um, other things get cold, but it doesn't bother me. But my hands is what bothers me. Uh, when they get cold, I'm done. So I tr I've, I've tried everything. I got some of that uh, tent spray. Have you ever seen that tent spray that makes it waterproof? So I got yeah. some of that and I sprayed it on my gloves, hoping that that would take care of the, the wind, um, that silicone spray. And um, I haven't uh, tried it yet, but I did spray down my gloves and I can't wait to go up and see if that uh, actually helped or not. Ooh, let us know. Yeah, let us know. Because yeah. if that does, that's that's three bucks of spray that you can get at I'm Walmart. Spraying every layer I got, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> oh my yeah. god. Yeah, I mean, spray your your um, your trousers, your shirt, your jacket, all that stuff, and and that's. Um, and if that keeps it from getting cold, that might be uh, that might be some. Hey, anybody out there in the super chat? And by the way, thank you very much. Um, we had uh, yeah. twenty people watching and twenty-one thumbs up. So thank you very much for the thumbs up. Thank I really you. appreciate that. Uh, thank you guys for uh, for the donations in the super chat. Absolutely. Uh, Nick Griffith and uh, DP donated. Definitely appreciate that, guys. Um, but what do you do when it gets cold up there? Do you have any tips or tricks that you can let us know real quick before we head on out of here to keep your hands, uh, your body warm? Um, like I said, I got uh, gloves that are battery heated and I sprayed some of that tent spray on to make it waterproof, but I haven't gone up and flown yet to see if it actually worked or not. Any tips or tricks, anybody out there? Heated gloves, uh, heated, heated gloves. That's a, that's a tip. Uh, yeah, we, we use, uh, what do we use? We use the ones made from Canada in Canada. And they also have heated uh, soles that you can put in your shoes or boots. And they also Ooh. make a heated vest. Wow. wow. Uh, they, they make uh, heated, uh, like a kidney belt, a heated one for, uh, so they have quite a few. What is a heated um, kidney belt? It's like a, just a belt, I guess. You know what I'm thinking is it's more for people that maybe snowmobile. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's, uh, that's where you would use it. But I use, uh, yeah, motion, motion heat okay. um, gloves. Um, and that's, they, see, they seem to make pretty decent products. We have the 12-volt version. I think I'm going to go and order some batteries with... Uh, I think they go up to 16 volt, but they also make an adapter that you can use it with a Milwaukee battery. So um, definitely heated gear, good boots, good uh, insulated boots. Um, I use a one piece snowsuit that came from uh, my father that worked on the oil fields up in Alaska. It was a issued and I still have it and I still use that and that keeps you warm. Mm -hmm. Um you know Woolen so socks. woolen socks, Eric. I'm sorry, what? Woolen socks. Wool socks. Wool socks. Wool socks. Woolen. Woolen socks? Woolen shape. You know, wool. Yeah, yeah wool, wool wool socks. Wool. Yes, wool socks. yes. Smart wool. I got the smart wool. Yep. And um, boots that are um, that are weatherproof, waterproof boots. My feet do not, and they're not heated um, socks either. They're just regular small smart wool. Matter of fact, looks uh, up smart wool socks. They are the best socks I've ever had in my life. A little bit, a little bit pricey, but oh my god! So they're not heated, but they keep my feet warm. Uh, Daniel Roos in the uh, super chat said. Um, 
uh, rubber gloves under heated gloves. Does that work? Because I've tried that before and my fingers froze. I wear my heated liners and I throw on over them a um, uh, Carhartt makes a glove that is a material. It's um, like a canvas. And that's what I wear over them to block the air. And that seems to retain the heat in. Mm -hmm. uh, but then you have the dexterity thing. A lot of people don't like flying with gloves. Right. I have learned to, I have learned to fly with gloves. So. Yes. And then you have to worry also about the sweaty, sweaty hands. To have heard with, uh, with the heat, with the uh, plastic, the rubber gloves. That's, I think, why my hands got so cold is because they were damp. They didn't, they weren't able to breathe. Um, I don't know. But they didn't work very well for me. I tried that one time and my hands were freezing. So there's uh, my tip a balaclava. A baklava? A baklava. Yeah. <laughs> there's my baklava. Well, wait, wait. And your aluminium. There's more. This was like, I don't know, 10 or 12, $12. But then I sewed in a fabric face mask. Mm hmm. On the inside, you know, where it comes up over your nose. And because it's got that little metal clip, it can form a seal around your nose. You know, so air can't get down and behind it and under. You is know, that, like, uh, just a regular that, uh, face mask. Does that keep the air fogging up your goggles or does that keep uh, it from it, getting COVID at 10,000 feet? I have not once gotten COVID at 10,000 feet, so <laughs> it might be onto something there, Eric. Well, anyways, right. this gives an extra little layer of warmth because my sinus mm -hmm. just kills me, that cold air rushing up like that. And so um, that really? has solved that problem for me. And that's four, four, 40 degrees? Yeah, yeah, frigid 40 <laughs> when, when you it, put When you put that on... Like, it's kind of like eating very clean too fast and then you get an ice cream headache well but that, that's like, it's, it's kind of like that but but more intense <laughs> will do do you wear some sort of goggles or glasses and if you do does that fog them up at all it does yeah it has not gotten rid of the fogging up of the glasses i don't have so much of a problem with it when i'm in flight but uh -huh. i have to pull down the mask and uh if, you know while i'm warming up and taken off and stuff but in flight i guess the, the glasses cool down i i don't know uh it hasn't been as big of a problem in flight nick flight. nick griffith said that it's um bella clava baklava is uh is a nice little thing to eat with your coffee but uh, <laughs> bella clava <laughs> bella clava it's however you want to say it i Tomato, would rather Tomato. have I'd rather have baklava, the Greek baklava. pastry. Baklava. <laughs> it's the name of my city. I live in in Adelaide here. There you go. Back, yeah. I can't even say it now. Sean Nasgar says uh, use snowboarding goggles. Yep, that's uh, we have those. We use those too. Oh, there uh, what, you go. what we've what we've learned is you don't put them down or pull the balaclava up until you're ready to launch and then the air going across your face mask and 
your goggles will keep it from uh, fogging up. That's oh. what we do. So, so right before glasses. we take it. So yeah, I wear glasses, glasses, but then I wear oh, I wear goggles over it. Okay, okay, that well, see now that's interesting because I wear glasses too, and the goggles kind of I thought would interfere with that. The ski goggles. But, I've got yeah, them. you you have to find big enough goggles. Hold on. Oh, huh. I didn't think about that. Yeah, you I have wear your glasses when you're up there so you can see where you're flying, right? I have a ski mask. Glasses. See the watch. Ski goggles. I have ski goggles, oh. but haven't used it yet. So these are what we have. And they're big enough to where your glasses will fit actually inside. And you can change out your lenses for cloudy days or sunny days. And these are just ski goggles. Oh, guys, I just thought of something. You know that that um, Apple is coming out, you know, they're going to stop making um, iPhones so they can do their Apple Glass, you know? And, um, you know, Google has the Google Glasses, right? The Google Glass. Can you imagine flying with your Apple Glass or your Google Glass and seeing? Um, I can't even imagine what, 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 could, what could be on the display. I bet your altitude, speed, and all that stuff could be on your, on, on your um, Apple Glass display. Yeah. Yeah, that would be pretty cool. Where do you get those, Eric? Um, any sporting goods stores that sells uh, ski gear? Look on Amazon. I found um, oh, a pair yeah. for like Amazon. 10 bucks delivered. Yeah, the ones that you've already proven work for glasses. That's why I want the ones that oh. you got. So I don't Yeah, have these to are these are made by Oakley and Oh, that's a good brand. We've we just we got these at a ski hill. Um, but if you um, go on Amazon, you'll find them. Write that uh, down, Will. Um, O-A-K-L-E-Y. Not Oakley, O-O-K-L-Y. L-E-Y. Okay. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> good Have you guys heard about the Tesla phones? The what? The Tesla phones. So um, Elon Musk, you know, has put up those satellites, right? And they have um, high-speed internet access. Um, he's making a phone that connects to the satellites that delivers high-speed internet to your phone and uh, cell service from the satellites anywhere on Earth. You don't need to be around a tower. There's no dead spots. You can tether oh. that to your computer or your home internet and have high-speed internet off your phone. Um, if you haven't done so, I think uh, investing in some Tesla stock now that it went down um, under uh, 900 and some dollars per, um, it already went up to $1,200. So we know it's going to go back up. So something tells me uh, when they have the Tesla phones, um, it's going to be a big thing. I think they're going to wipe the uh, iPhones and Google phones and Amazon, uh, uh, Androids off the market. Wow. What do you guys think? Real quick. Interesting. That would be cool. This is what Sean Nasker was talking about. Um, for They've got those glasses that do what you're talking about. Um, but they only last an hour, an hour and a half. So that's pretty cool. I could find a picture or something of it, but you might be able to plug them into a battery source and keep them going while you're in the air. 
Yeah, absolutely. And having signal everywhere, there's going to be no more AT&T. There's no, going to be no more Verizon. Um, it's just going to be Tesla. He's going to, I mean, really? he's just, he's just going to destroy um, what's out there right now. Heads up and hands free. Well, that's, that's interesting. It's going to be an exciting next 20 years, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Self-driving cars, uh, hell, self-driving paramotor. <laughs> That's going to be the next thing is self-driving paramotors. That won't be any fun though. No, <laughs> but, but, but I tell you what, with all the drone technology that's out there right now, uh, it's only going to be a matter of time before we are going to need, um, um, ADSB in and out on our paramotor, at least out so people can see us. Right. And to, and right now it costs two thousand dollars to get a uh, battery operated one that we could put on ours. That's uh, for UAVs. Um, I don't have two thousand bucks to try it, but people have already done it. That would be cool. So it's only a matter of time because we're going to be up there with our with Amazon drones, and I don't want to get zapped by Amazon drones. Not <laughs> at all. <laughs> This was really interesting tonight. I learned a lot. Well, okay, yeah. so then what's 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 the square of pi? <laughs> I don't know. All those numbers you were throwing out there earlier about I have no idea about the class about the class airspace. Yeah, you lost me there. <laughs> but I was the sign language and everything, and I was like, oh, okay, okay. Hey, uh, guys, I want to guys and girls, Linda. Uh, just want to add something that I've never seen anyone in America do, uh, PPC guys or trike people. Yeah. Uh, um, over here we do, um, in, in the touch and go, we keep the front wheel up. So it's like doing a wheelie. Right. And I've seen it done for 700 metres or more, one of the guys up there just touch and go, land, land with your back wheels and keep your front wheel up all the way and just, just kite all the way and then just power up and go again. I've never seen anyone doing it with a trike, Eric, in, in America. Uh, we, we, we will practice that. Jade's been practicing that lately um, yeah. because it is kind of cool. Yeah, so. Especially with a tandem, it's, it's quite easy, I think. I wouldn't wouldn't know that but i know that she's been practicing her low flight and doing the wheelies i've i've done them not for 700 meters or kilometers or we've got a long runway so you can do that you know what i mean so, right uh, yeah but yep. it is uh, it is uh, you're, you're in flight but just your back wheels are on the ground the front wheels up and you're kiting all the way down which is uh, it's a great feeling and uh, spectacular wise to any onlookers on the side watching. Yeah, no, it's uh, it is impressive to see. Yeah. It well, is. shoot, I'm going to try that next. Yeah. <laughs> Give it a go. Uh, Give it a go, guys. It is fun and it does look good for uh, spectators because I don't see that often. That sounds pretty neat. Hey, Will Fly, is, is that true? Is it really 6.9? Blah, blah, blah. I'm just, no, I'm just messing with them. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
if uh, if you guys are listening to this podcast, you really need to run over to clearproptv.com or iflyparamotors.com and actually uh, watch the chat. Um, the live chat is absolutely hilarious. Uh, it's fun to watch. It's fun to be uh, a part of. So if you ever get the chance to actually, you know, watch the live show and, and see the super chat, uh, it, it's really fun. I think it's it's just as fun being in the super chat as it is listening to us or be part of the panel. What do you guys yeah. think? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You see me at every show. I jump in there and hang with everybody. And yeah, it's fun. I love it. I love tonight. I love being with you guys and everything. And yeah. And then during the week, I I love to support the shows, you know, just be there in the chat and say hi to everybody. And that's what we do. Cool. Absolutely. Well, yeah. th this, this has gone on a lot longer than I was expecting, yeah. seriously, because it's just a few days before Christmas. I thought, let's just do a quick uh, one hour, you know, yeah. get out of here, get back with the families. But um, here it is rolling up on 10 o'clock already. Holy smokes. I love doing this. I love talking about paramotors and I could probably talk all day, but I know that you guys have uh, family and friends um, and just, you know, <laughs> um, want to just kick back and relax and not be on a podcast or not be talking in the super chat. What do you guys think in the super chat? Do you like uh, when this thing rolls more than an hour or do you want this to be an hour podcast? Um, so let's go ahead and uh, wrap this all up. I'll, um, my name is Sean Simons, PPG Grandpa. You can find me at ppggrandpa.com or iflyparamotors.com. You can find us every Monday night at 7 p.m. Uh, Central, 8 p.m. Eastern on clearproptv.com. Find us anytime audio-wise on paratalk.org or search for PPG Grandpa's Paramotor Podcast. On Tuesday night, I'll let Jay Lear, uh, Eric Lear, why did I say Jay? Eric Lear uh, talk about his podcast on Tuesday night. Go ahead. Yeah, my name is Eric Lear. You can find me at ppglear.com on Tuesday nights with Shane, Will, and Mark. And we're trying to kind of gear this towards a, more of an educational uh uh, podcast for new pilots. Uh, also, you can see Flying Flamingo Jade on her show on Wednesdays, Girls Just Want to Fly. You can find her at Flying Flamingo Jade or paramotorgirl.com. Awesome. And also Paramount USA has a son that does a podcast. Uh, Linda Anderson, tell us a little bit about that. Oh, my gosh. I, I love being on the show. I love being on the podcast here. Um, it's like I said, if you guys want to hook up with me and want to get on our show on Monday night, just go to paramountusa.com and uh, just message me or you can just private message me or whatever and just say, hey, I want to be on your show and I'll we'll get it all squared away. Otherwise, on Thursday night, you can find me on paraglidingtalk.com with your host, Robert Michael. And he always has awesome guests and talk about paragliding, paramoting, whatever goes. And I just tell everybody, come on, hang out with us, hang in the chat. It's a lot of fun. And um, I just message Robert and there is going to be a show on Thursday night. So y'all got to come out and hang out with us. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, Will Fly, you got a YouTube channel that's blown up and, uh, 
thousands of thousand people watch each and every one of your videos. They've they're done so well. Uh, tell us a little bit about your channel and uh, how to get to it. All right, it's uh, you can find me on youtube.com forward slash willfly or willflyppg.com. Just a collection of silly videos about my flying paramotors and adventures. And uh, the last one was really cool because everybody here in the local group got to participate and uh, give some good tips on paramotoring. It was a lot of fun to make. And I, uh, this is the last full moon of the year. I can't think of a better place than to spend it right here with you guys. Oh, because we're all werewolves. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's why you got to wrap this up early, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, I'm gonna put in the super chat a uh, a link to all of the paramotor podcasts that are going on right now. It's over at PPG Zone. If you don't know, on Sunday nights, Josh Perry has a podcast called Mystery Science Paramotor um really really funny you got to check it out um and it shows all the different ones including paragliding talk uh the paramotor podcast with um anthony villa and there's more also too so check it all out and if you haven't gone to pair uh, ppgzone.com make sure you sign up for a free um a, a, a free what am i trying to say a free Car. <laughs> <laughs> and and <laughs> free car yeah the free car free paramotor uh it's really cool ppgzone.com hey um it if you want website. to what's that it is a very cool website it is a good website it really is um have you guys seen the uh the the mystery science paramotor on um on uh on sundays sunday nights at seven yes. what's the code again um sean uh mystery science paramotor um, if you go to ppg zone uh it's it's on there and it'll lead you right to uh the youtube channel yeah i put a link in the uh the chat also matter of fact uh, let me go ahead and um show you real quick so here it is over at ppgzone.com forward slash paramotor hyphen podcast uh the first one that pops up is sunday nights um and here's the link to go to it and then of course clear prop tv on monday you have on tuesday night you got your your tuesday night hangouts on uh, wednesday you got girls just want to fly uh, paragliding talk on thursdays the paramotor podcast with anthony vela um, unfortunately he doesn't continue his podcast um all the time but he makes some really good videos and uh airy in the air that's and cool. that's all of it oh so since we're here real quick um let me show you the members map so when you go to the members map now there's an actual map of the united states all the different paramotor pilots you can zoom in wherever you are and you can see all the pilots that have listed themselves here and there i am in conway yay oh, so if you need any kind of paramotor or wing you know exactly who to target exactly so <laughs> <laughs> there and there's ppg tommy down in little rock oh yeah michael and cersei 
got Fort Smith. So yeah, any anybody oh. that you want to check out, yeah, check it out. It's really cool. PBGZone.com, uh, definitely a place to go if you like to paramotor or want to get into paramotoring or try to find the pilots around you. Um, PPC Heavy Wally? Well, what's that about? That's a little bit different. PPC Heavy, you know, like uh, heavy aircrafts in the air. So I just put myself in that category. <laughs> okay. Heavy Wally. All right. Um, anybody else have anything to say before we head on out? Any words of wisdom or anything that we want to talk about before we close out the show? I just want to say uh, thanks for everybody listening. Also, that PPG Zone is a good place for new pilots if you want to connect with uh, pilots around your area to ask questions, yep. you know, or to get advice about instructors or schools in the area. You can go on there and talk to a lot of people. As I tell everybody, you know, go go meet with a couple of uh, schools and find the one that you really mesh with, and that's the one that you're going to want to pick. And the good thing about the schools is you're going to make a uh, you're going to make a commitment in the school, but you're also going to make a lot of friendships because it's not just you they're teaching. They're teaching a lot of other students and you might have a little private fly in with just the students from that school. So and just have fun. This is that's what it's all about. Having fun. Exactly. Um... And of course, if you want to, if you're in the Arkansas area, central Arkansas, and you do want to learn to fly, I do have a school and you guys are more than welcome to give me a chat. You can find me on the PPG zone under Paramotor Arkansas. Holy smokes, I got five stars. That's awesome. And there's uh, all the information you can get up with me. There's my phone number and my email address and where I'm located. Anyway, I had a really good time with you guys. And I cannot believe that Christmas is right around the corner. Um, I heard that Santa Claus has given up his sleigh and reindeer and now flying tandem paramotors. Mm. Oh, there you go. Yep. A little bit more slow, but it's more fun. He'll be here in Australia first before you guys. So uh, I'll let you know, okay? Absolutely. <laughs> okay. <laughs> He'll yeah, probably I'd have like to, to. I'd like to wish you, Sean, and the team, and everyone in the chat, a big uh, happy Christmas, Merry Christmas, whatever you want to say. Uh, let's hope and New Year coming. Let's hope it's all going to be better for us. And uh, yeah, have a good one. Cheers. Yep. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. And the all next, right. um, yeah, yeah. Um, I, 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 2022. Unbelievable. It's coming up so quickly. Um, we still got 17 people watching. Guys, do you have nothing better to do than, than, than to listen <laughs> to Paramotor Podcast? I love it. And, and, and the chat is just going really crazy, too. Um, let me go ahead and say hi to, to some people in here, and hopefully That's I can cool. and say, uh, you know, hopefully I said hi to everybody. Um, let's see. Sean Nascar, uh, Wig, Wiggy Wing. Am I saying that right? Um, Hot Buttered Production. Um, Tony Marzano. Nick Griffith. Um, man, you guys are just talking and talking and talking. Um, Slow Days. Oh, Slow Days is in the house. What's up? Hey. PPG, the other Nick. Uh, Mark H, PPG Trike Jockey. Um, Eric Lear. Who's that guy? He sounds familiar, but I don't know. 
Um, Randy Milstead. Um, right. Dewey's uh, better half. I think that's the way it goes. Um, let's see. Did I miss anybody else? There's so many people in the chat. I hope I got everybody. I hope I said hello to everybody. If I didn't, Paramotor Girls in the house. Woohoo! Um, so I think I got everybody. If I didn't, I am so sorry. You guys have a wonderful evening. Um, everyone that's in the uh, chat, thank you so much. You guys that um, uh, are, are here and have chatted with me, thank you so much for hanging out with me. I know that there's so many other things you could do, but you're here. Um, here's our new t-shirt from, uh, from our, our store. Um, I don't fly. I dangle from strings, string life. This is from Michael. Michael uh, decided that this would be a fun uh, t-shirt. So we designed it and put it on the uh, store. If you guys have any designs or any, not designs, any wording, some really good wording for t-shirts, let me know, email them to ppggrandpa at gmail.com. Put them over here in the super chat and let me know and we will make your very own t-shirts available in our merch store. Merch store is over at iloveppg.com. Anything else, guys, before we head on out? How, how do I send Robert the link so he can watch the show tonight? I mean, because after, I always forget. Um, our link, uh, what you can do is you can go to iflyparamotors.com okay. and, and then look for the last live stream. That'd be okay. the easiest way to do it. Okay. All right. Maybe just that because I told him I was on here tonight. And he said, "Send me the link." Yeah, um, uh, iFlyParamotors.com. Um, when you go there, you can uh, you can find the link. Matter of fact, if you want to, iFlyParamotors.com. It forwards to my YouTube channel, which is really cool. And okay. then I go to the um, to the live stream. I click the live stream, which is episode 101. And I'll copy that and I can put that in our in our um, super chat. Oh, I can just copy and, and paste it to you in, in zoom. Anything okay, else? Okay. Anything else, guys, before we head on out any words of wisdoms or, or anything that you guys want to say? I mean, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. Um, yeah. all, all the different holidays that are out there that I may not say what what is there um Christmas Kwanzaa um Hanukkah Hanukkah what other Cinco de Mayo why not Bonatale. <laughs> um whatever holidays are out there that you have to drink more that's that's a, that those are always good ones um Happy everything yeah. and happy new year. Happy holiday. Now, now you know why they say happy holidays. Happy holidays. Cause so many people <laughs> celebrate different things, you know, why exclude people that don't just celebrate Christmas? I think it should be everybody. Um, which reminds me, I was on, um, our Christmas on Reddit and I said something about, uh, well, how about happy holidays for other people? And they permanently banned me. <laughs> what? Yeah, I put it on my Facebook. They permanently banned me because I asked something about um, other holidays. Oh, well, I guess you don't ask about other holidays when you're on our Christmas. <laughs> um, anyways, oh, guys. They didn't, they didn't ban you from Reddit, just that group. 
just that group i'm permanently banned i put on i put on my facebook you can find me on facebook at facebook.com forward forward slash sean fitness s-h-a-w-n-f-i-t-n-e-s-s that's before when i was like working out and not a fat grandpa yeah not a fat grandpa all right guys anything else well i say that's it humble and have fun absolutely we'll see you see you next week absolutely see you tomorrow yeah Hey, who's that blurry girl in the background? There she is. <laughs> there she is. There she gone. There she is. There she is. Okay. America. Oh, you two are so cute. They are. I love you both. I love you, both. I love you all. They're talking I mean, about you. Uh-oh. I'm not- oh, I'm oh. She's saying she can't hear. Oh. <laughs> all right. We'll see y'all later. Thank you so much. Have a great evening. And we'll see you tomorrow at pbglear.com. Woo! Bye. Bye.